Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb. And once again, we are recording live in our Discord for all those wonderful folks who are also our patrons. Uh, if y'all want to be part of this, get the cast day or two early. I don't know, go to patreon.com slash arena decklist, I suppose. Uh, it's it's not even a day or two early. We're so bad at everything we do. Like, well, okay, we're kind of bad and we're kind of good because our awesome support staff turns around our podcast so quickly. We get the editing done. We get it posted. Like last time, it was like six hours from the live recording yeah. where it actually hit the internet. <laughs> eh, you know, six to 48 hours, somewhere in there. There, there is a big gap, but uh, yeah, you get it a tiny bit early and uh, you also get some pre-show chats and all that fun stuff. And we hang around afterwards and answer some questions. So uh, all those boxes get checked. It's it's almost never been more than 24 hours of turnaround time. I was just giving Connor like some leeway in case he ever needed it ever in his life. That's nice. I, I am sure he appreciates that. But yeah, uh, this week is... Kind of weird, I suppose, because we're going to be talking about modern and based on the chatter that I've seen, the streams that I've been watching, like seeing where people are diverting their attention. It seems like historic is the thing that people are most interested in like that or limited, but I'm going to skip over that for now, I guess. Uh, Just for now, because we got now. some news today. Okay. Some exciting so, news. Okay. So May 8th and 9th, there's an arena open that is Strixhaven sealed. Yay. Jerry's super excited about it, and uh, I am, I'm saying it right now. Jerry hasn't agreed to it yet, but I'm saying it live, so he's got no choice. We'll, we'll do another Sealed episode. I'll play some Sealed deck, and we'll figure out Strixhaven. I, you know, I'll, I'll take a moment to pat ourselves on the back. I think we did pretty well with Kaldheim and identifying like the proper way to play that Sealed format, and most people got to the same conclusions we did around the same time. So I'm not going to make it sound like we were the sole source of information if you were looking to do very well. I think a bunch of people figured it out independently. Oh, of course. I mean, there's there's plenty of good sources of lim- limited information out there. Right. But I was still happy that we were able to provide that to our listeners. And uh, I, I think we can do that again for them. Go go watch Sam Black stream and consume all his content. I think that's a, an excellent idea, but we're going to do it too, because I like doing it. And uh, I think I think Jerry doesn't like it. And I don't, I don't know why I feel this way, because I love you like a brother, but something about forcing you to do these things that I know you really <laughs> don't want to do makes me really happy. So, I, And I, honestly, I, I pretty much feel the same way about my real brother. So that, that all checks out. Okay. Yeah, you just have a, a weird familiar bond, I suppose. I guess uh, so, yeah. I don't, I don't really like it. Sorry. Sorry, you're trapped now. Different times, man, different times. I think I would have way more energy to explore all these different formats and, and do all of this extra work, but instead I'm just like, I, I just kind of want to like sit on my couch. Like I can't really sleep much these days, uh, although uh, getting vaccinated last weekend helped me with that. I was like super lethargic and was able to actually sleep for like eight hours in a row. It was great. Oh, like as your side effects from the vaccine? Yeah, yeah. It was it was super light, but that was the one thing that that hit me. At least like I, I think it was part of the vaccine, you know, because I haven't been able to sleep that well in in months, almost a year probably. So Well, I'm I'm glad that worked out. That's a unexpected bonus of being vaccinated. I, I also had my first shot. A little tired the day of, but I wasn't, I, I woke up really early to go to the place where they were, it was like a walk-up clinic basically. So I was up at, I think, 6.30 or 7, which there's no way I went to bed before like 4 or 5. So it, yeah. it was not much sleep. So afterwards in the afternoon, I also felt very tired, but I was 
very sure it was probably just about waking up early and not so much the vaccine because everything in the days following was completely fine. Well, you want to hear something nice about my sleep schedule? My appointment was at 3.20 p.m. Okay. uh, Which meant that I had been up for about 13 hours at that point. Yeah. Okay. That's very strange, but yeah, sure. So yeah, got, (laughs) got poked, came back, went to sleep. It was great. Nice. Well, you're in the range where you're starting to like wrap around to almost having the quote unquote normal sleep schedule again, right? Where you're just eventually going to be waking up at like 7 a.m. ready to start the day, cup of coffee in hand. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of on that. It's it's like I either wake up at like 3 a.m. or 7 a.m. depending on when I go to sleep now. Right. Yeah, I know, I know how that variance works. Which is which is not great. But anyway, uh, the week after. The sealed open is also the Strixhaven qualifier weekend, which I think I checked and it said standard. That is correct. It is I'm standard. Sure. Okay, standard. Which is is weird and interesting because there hasn't been a lot of traction on standard, and there hasn't been a lot of reason for people to do that. And historic has a bunch of shiny new th- things, you know. So I actually haven't seen that much innovation in standard and. Going through the Magic Online results, uh, obviously people show up for the challenges, you know, they bring their best decks, there's some innovation, but like looking at the leagues, it was like four decks and six decks or something. Yeah, yeah, the leagues were pretty barren. And uh, honestly, that's what I wanted to do for this show. I really wanted to do a standard deck dump. Although I guess if you gave me like the ability to resculpt the world, I really would have rather done a historic deck dump. I think that's where the most interesting stuff is happening. But we don't really have stuff to mine for that. We could talk about the events that happened over the past weekend. And it's certainly interesting things happened there. You know, rogues taking a first place in the hands of uh, Yuta Takahashi. Fairy's master just goes ahead and adds Brainstorm to uh, a very solid looking deck and makes it into what sort of feels like a great deck. Memory Lapse was too. really cool. Yeah, Memory Lapse too. Great point. Yeah, two, two really big adds to that archetype and people now getting to feel a little bit of standard in their historic, which I think is fine-ish. Like that's sort of what historic is supposed to be. I I don't know that it lasts forever, but. That's like the outlier though. It is the outlier. Uh, There is some degenerate stuff going on. Some of that, which you are at least in part responsible for going on with Jeskai Ultimatum type decks, which you wrote about on Star City. So all kinds of things happening there, but there's nothing to really farm to be like, this is the metagame. You know, we could give you shots at it, but I think a lot of times when we do that, we, and I think we fell into this trap in the pre-Strixhaven era, we gave you our expected metagame. Like if people are rational actors, this should be what they are doing. People are not always rational actors and you may not end up exactly where it makes sense to end up because people have their preferences and their predilections for certain decks. And I I think some decks are being held on to a little too firmly right now. Some decks probably need to be retired as things shift, but that'll all get played out as we do more and more tournaments. And I I think we're just better off waiting for that to happen before we're talking about it. Going into the pro tour, like events, the championship events, I think that we can make those calls, but for something like a qualifier weekend, it's, it's always just anything goes. And uh, Yo Man 5 actually took his shot at doing this, a similar thing for Historic this week. You know, go look at his Twitter account and his content on TCG Player and stuff like that. But it was basically just like, you know, decks that he thinks are going to show up, decks that are overplayed, decks that are underplayed, etc. Mm. Typical, so. typical Yo Man delivery, which I, I really appreciate. And I yeah, think his approach good is good. Yeah, I think it does a good job of setting the stage for the format. So I will second that. Go check that out. 
Uh, as far as standard goes, we're going to get a first decent look, I think, this weekend because the SCG Tour Online is coming back. And I, I believe that event is standard this weekend. So I'm, I'm going to write about that. I'm going to cover it. I'm going to look for anything interesting happening there. Uh, certainly, you can check out those deck lists too and see what's going on in real time. Although my article does it pretty close after the completion of that tournament. I basically wait for the tournament to finish. I jam it out and send it over and then it's up Monday morning. So I'll have nice. a breakdown of what's going on in standard for sure. You know, I got to say, out of all the spam or spam adjacent emails that I get, most of which I just ignore for a week. You know, it's like those are the only emails I get these days. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the week or whatever, I'll just go through and clear out 100 emails. But the emails from Star City where I the most recent one I got was just like, you qualified for the first Invitational in 2020. So like, here's some free entry, like come play in these tournaments or whatever. I'm like, hmm, like. It's like not that bad, you know? It's, it's, it sounds really nice in the moment. Like, oh, a magic tournament I could get excited yeah. for and I could chat with my friends and see what's happening. So yeah. the more the more they email me about this stuff, the more I'm just like, yeah, that doesn't sound that bad, you know? But I actually have to just, you know, buckle down and join one of the events. So it'll, it'll is, happen one of these days. That is the final step. And uh, I think we are marching ever closer to you and I participating in these things again. It's, it's not that I don't want to participate in them. I just don't have a reason to. And my wife has off on the weekends and she works during the week. And if you're, if I'm going to give up my weekend, like I, I want a good reason to. And I think I can gain just as much from observing the tournament as playing in it, if not more, quite frankly, like I, yeah, I am you get more to focused see more. on what's going on broadly. So often I'm just like, well, for what I do and uh, the content I create, I think it's just better for me not to play this and to pay attention and to take my time off and enjoy it and then come back and break down the stuff with some some 2020 hindsight, basically. Yeah, that's mostly what I like doing too is observing. And then if there's something that is a gap in my knowledge or like a thing I just don't understand, well, then, you know, I'll get on ladder and play until I figure it out. Yep. Yeah, that tracks. You know, before before we head into this modern league, which I, I am excited to talk about because there's some neat stuff, like maybe just a quick check-in on both formats, what you would play. I, th- I think that would be a really useful thing to provide to our listeners if they have either a historic or a standard event this weekend. Uh, for standard, I'm not sure. I've I've still been working on like these, these Rakdos things, but haven't quite gotten it figured out. There, for whatever reason, there was a trend also in the standard events on Magic Online this last weekend for like Sultai, Urian to just play more Urians and card advantage things and not play Ultimatum. Mm-hmm. And there are things like Callous Bloodmage showing up where, you know, we kind of poo-pooed on the card. It's like a fine card, but not power level that you would expect for standard. I guess when you're up to 80 cards, you're trying to Urian things. It kind of makes sense. But like cutting Ultimatum for that stuff, I don't know. That seems wild to me. Seems wild to me as well. Uh, Ultimatum is, it feels like the reason to do those things. And it's nice to have that easy click, I win button. I always look for those things. And Ultimatum is still functioning as that. So I would still be playing Ultimatum if I was playing Sultai. In general, I don't want to play Sultai. I think it's like fine-ish. I wouldn't fault you for that choice. I really don't have strong opinions on standard. I continue to work on all the plum decks. I continue to do well with them mostly. Nothing feels broken, but it all feels competitive. And it keeps me pushing and trying to figure out how I can push them into the broken realm. I don't think I'm there yet. But as if, if the metagame gets really pinned down, I think it's going to be a really good time for those type of decks because I, I can 
beat some things and I can shape my sideboard really hard to account for, you know, if I know I'm playing a bunch of aggro matchups, it's, it's very easy for me to find an edge there. But if I'm trying to cover everything, it's hard. And, and there's some decks that require some very specific sideboard tech. Like all of your sideboard slots are so spoken for, it's really hard to get cards that have utility in multiple matchups. Well, that's because you play too many lessons. My number of lessons has gone down. <laughs> I probably was playing too many lessons for a while. Uh, the, but that, the I mean, that's part of the problem. Summoning, the okay, fourth yeah, pass yeah. summoning is probably a bit much. It, it was. Uh, look, that particular version, I still stand by it being correct, but uh, I don't think that was the best version of plumbing. So I, I would look for, for a much smaller package these days for sure. But I, I still really like those decks. I still think they have a lot of potential. But if I am playing something this weekend, it's either Teamer or is it with the same foundation, Goldspan Dragon into Alarin's Epiphany. I don't know that you actually still need to play green. I'm having success with the uh, Magma Opus focused versions and just ramping a little bit more and playing these powerful spells because they are powerful. Having the seven mana and eight mana instance has been really good for me. And I've, I've appreciated that. I've appreciated Galazeth Prismari as a way to get a little bit bigger, a little faster, which I think is important in this format. I don't know if it's just straight up better than playing green. I, I'm not going to say that with any confidence, but I do know I am certainly getting by with playing just is it, and I kind of want to keep pushing that further. So one of those two decks would have my eye for this weekend in standard. Saltai is the litmus test. I think it's completely fine to play it. I would stick to what makes that deck good, and that is just focusing on the combo. There's, uh, again, a lot of the the modal lists are like uh, Quandrix Cultivator, which is a fine card. Eureka Moment, that card's okay, maybe worse than Cultivator. A lot of the decks are like cutting cultivate for those cards, which I don't agree with. I would much rather have the card that just gives you two lands than the random mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Onyx seems solid because you yep. can get Tybalt, Onyx, Morinclex, and that's like a pretty solid package a lot of the time. So those updates seem pretty strong. Any sort of teamer or is it sort of thing I think is also pretty good. And Mono White is also solid with Spellbinder. Okay. Yep, and I, I, like mono red's okay, it's fine. But I I would much rather prefer to work on any of those other three decks. Yeah, I, you know my my interest is always going to be driven by what I like to play. So certainly I agree with you. I've I've spent a lot of time working on plum decks and a lot of times working on these is, is it decks because they're more interesting to me than trying to figure out like the ideal teamer list or the the best sultai list. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As for historic, uh, my my couch deck even though this is not a, a great play on mobile couch deck has been, is it Phoenix? And I th- think I have a pretty good list. It is, it's definitely better than, than like 50, 50 matchups. Like we were kind of talking about last week. I think yeah, we, ta- of- we talked this deck down last week and it had a pretty successful first week out. It looks like. So like, I was just kind of like joking and going along with you, but it's like, that's what I was working on, you know? Uh, and I, I fixed a lot of the problems. I think, I think that Stormwing entity as your alternative threat to Arclay Phoenix kind of makes sense, but kind of doesn't where either you're bringing back a Phoenix on turn three or you're casting entity on turn three. And it's like, wow, look at the consistency or whatever, but it means that you're consistently mediocre. And I think that's a lot of what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, crackling Drake at the top end is completely fine. If you're going to do that, play a maximized velocity. I think that that is fine. 
Sprite Dragon is a pretty bad card, but having something to do on turn two that then leads into turn three, bring back your Phoenix, is where you want to be. Yeah. So I have I have three copies of Sprite Dragon now. You absolutely do not want to flood on them, but as far as like a turn two uh, kind of setup thing when you're all rolled up for, for turn three and it forces your opponent to spend mana killing your thing, like a lot of people are just like, oh, well, it just dies. Well, a lot of your stuff is just going to die, and the earlier you make them interact with you, the better. Yeah. So... Stormwing Entity has protection inherently from more things, uh, just like higher casting costs, third toughness, etc. But they're they're both probably going to die to something, right? So I would much rather spend two mana to do it, not on my Phoenix turn, and then actually build towards that. And then in in the super late game, you play that, you play finale, like you're you're good to go, right? And I've also been trying two Terramanders, which are fine. It's you know another thing that. You can just play early, it's probably going to die, but eventually some, something is going to stick. And then in the late game, it's very cheap to deploy. Uh, and in post-board matchups against control decks, it matters a lot when you have things like memory lapse and you want to like play a threat and hold open counter magic instead mm-hmm. of like playing Crackling Drake and just being stuck there. So I think that that deck is fine. Uh, it is kind of unwieldy to play on mobile, not as bad as some of the other stuff, like you know trying to play Omnath on mobile or whatever. But right. It's it's kind of wild. The ultimatum deck is very powerful, very good. Probably should just stick to playing it in best of one and farming people there. And I don't know, it's like kind of cheating at that point. It's like really unfair. But I don't know, do what you got to do. I don't really have any objection to what you're saying. I I think one of the re- reasons Phoenix has done so well thus far is that uh, people didn't adjust as much as they should to its presence. I think the the more attention that's paid to it, the worse it's going to do. And I think it'll fall off pretty quickly if it ever becomes a problem. Uh, I would say the same thing for the Ultimatum deck. Meanwhile, I think these rogues lists look extremely strong, extremely consistent. They are particularly good at things that are trying to go big in some fashion. They're, they're really good at controlling that. We talked about Cling to Dust being a very important card in this format. They have access to as many copies as they want to play. So, And I don't think they're super vulnerable to uh, really being hated out in any kind of fashion. They're just consistent. They have extremely, extremely powerful spells. And those spells are propping up what is a really good backbone and a really challenging backbone to interact with for most decks. So very impressed by the early lists of rogues. Uh, If I had to play this weekend, I think that's what I would register. Rest in Peace is good against them. They can obviously still beat it, but Mm -hmm. it does shut down a lot of their angles. Uh, Do you think they have new directions to go, though, once they are once they know they are accounting for rest in peace on a regular basis, because I think it's pretty easy for them to shift gears and find another good, like alternate approach in those scenarios. It probably involves not playing Luris. And I I don't know if that's like not playing it at all, or if you just side in some bigger cards and yeah. yeah, And no longer have the companion, but yeah, they they have, they have ways around it. If they actually care, Uh, they can also just inquisition you or, or counter it, you know? So It, it doesn't necessarily work out all the time anyway. And even if you're like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, mulligan to six or five in hopes of getting my rest in peace and you do it, maybe you just die to a bunch of one power things, you know, that's completely reasonable too. Yeah. Uh, one of the the things about the deck is that memory lapse is just counterspell because of how often they just get in like the little mill shots, which yeah. is 
funny, but also kind of disappointing sometimes when you're like, well, I, I need to attack with this soaring thought thief or whatever. And it's like, I kind of want them to redraw their crappy spell again, but right. Right. Yeah. And if you don't attack, then it's, it's completely written what you're trying to force them into doing and they can do literally anything else and come out ahead in that scenario. So it's a little awkward, but I, I think you still take that just on raw power level. Yeah. Uh, yeah really awesome spell for them to have access to. Yeah, exactly. And that was, that was one of the things that I definitely did not think about in regards to memory lapse because I always put rogues kind of at like tier two, but mm-hmm. With all the things combined and especially how, you know, there's like the, the Mystic's Mastery deck, for example, or even just like all the Torrential Gear Hulk, yep. Indomitable Creativity stuff. It's like Rogues is big primed. Spells. Yeah, yeah big Rogues spells. is primed to beat up on those decks. So that and Memory Lapse and Brainstorm, it's like, okay, yeah, this, this deck is actually legit now. I agree, 100%. Yeah, I'd, I'd be fine playing Phoenix. I think Rogues is certainly a better choice. Phoenix is just one of those things where... You're like, well, I'd, I put all these, you know, different threats in my deck that are good against various things and this removal suite and my sideboard cards are usually very focused. And then the metagame is not what you expected it to be. And mm-hmm. you just kind of have no chance. Whereas rogues, I don't think cares very much at all. You know, so you have some spot removal, some discard, some counter spells. You're generally pretty good against everything as long as you account for, you know, things like gruel or whatever sort of collected company aggro deck is out there. I think that you'll be completely fine. Yeah. Along those lines, I saw a lot of green white in the events over the past weekend. I think by default, I look down on these decks. I I try not to, but always my first response is just going to be like, ew, why are we doing this? Uh, But then I I will eventually do my due diligence, play games with it and start to understand why exactly we are doing this. Do you have opinions on green white as it stands right now? The disruptive creatures are all really good right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that deck is solid, but the things that don't look very good to me are like Lovestruck Beast, Llanowar Elves, The Great Henge. I think Company is very good, but I would kind of rather just have Thalia instead. So if you want to just splash Company, you can, but also I think that Mono White is completely reasonable. That'll be an interesting uh, evolution to keep track of. I will definitely keep my eye on that. Faceless Haven. Faceless Haven still good. Love the beatdowns. Anything else for historic that you like? You've mostly been messing around in standard, I guess. Mostly standard, uh, checking in from time to time, playing, you know, occasional games on the ladder of historic, but no real deep sessions or trying to unpack anything, more just keeping up with what everyone else is working on and shaping my opinions on that rather than trying to push a new way forward in the format. Word. On to modern. Let's talk a little modern. Are we, are we doing the thing where we just skip the decks that don't have new cards? Is that our plan for this particular pass through? Or do you think things have gotten interesting enough that it's worth talking about them? I don't think that we can skip every deck that doesn't have new cards. Okay. But for things that we have already talked about uh, that don't have anything interesting, I think that we can skip over those. But there are definitely some decks in here that don't have new cards or don't have a ton of them that are pretty interesting. Okay, you're in charge. You direct us where you want to go. First up, Simo CR, Violent Outburst, Ardent Plea, Living End. So Blue Base with Force of Negation. We kind of talked about this. They're also the ones that have As Foretold instead of one of the Cascade mm-hmm. cards. Like, these, these decks are cool. I like them. They're probably not very good, but whatever. They're fine-ish. I, I do like how well this deck cycles now. Uh, I think every cycler at this point either costs one mana or less in the deck. And if you play at any living end, you know like the cost of cycling a two-mana creature can be 
pretty damning. Uh, the fact that these have gotten so lean at this point is really cool. I think the things you're bringing back have upgraded over time. And, you know, obviously adventure creatures like Brazen Bar are making the cut here. It's, it's a big difference maker. Like being able to interact on two really does do a lot for you. So these decks continue to get better. They continue to probably not be good enough to push into tier one. But th- I, this is a very different living end deck than we were dealing with just a couple of years ago. This is a deck that can now interact with you and do some really meaningful things. So if there's moments like there was back then where living end is really well positioned, maybe those moments look a little different now, but I think they're still there. I think there's still going to be a spot where you can just go, yes, this is the correct deck to play. It's a little different though, because I think living index back then you had fulminator mage and would side in like beast within and maybe play avalanche riders. So it's like, you could, you could use that as a foil to things like Tron while also being good against, you know, some creature decks or whatever. So now this one with force of negation is, probably set up to be good against different things. Yeah. And I'm not sure exactly what that spread of things is, but well, I, I, I do agree with your premise. I, I would guess like combo setups, right? Spell-based combo is what you're hitting most damningly with Force of Negation, and then you're still good against creature decks just by virtue of having Living End. But it doesn't feel like these spell-based combo decks in modern at this exact second are particularly vulnerable to just like getting hit with a force of negation. Right. Yeah, I agree with that too. That's that's why I was kind of concerned. It's like, well, this setup isn't like great against Tron. It's not great against control. Yep. Not great against combo. So like obviously you're solid against creature decks, but like what what does this deck actually, you know, just like farm basically? And I can't really think of that. It's just like solid against everything. Yeah, I think that's a good assessment and nothing wrong with that. Somber Troll playing some Azorius Spirits with... I don't think we got a new spirit, right? I always have to check. Uh, nothing comes to mind. Nah. Uh, and I, I don't see any new cards in this particular list. All right, this is this is a new-ish deck from SelfieSec, who was the progenitor of Mardu Pyromancer. So obviously I owe you know roughly thousands and thousands of dollars to this person. Correct. Yeah, wait uh, for that check, SelfieSec. <laughs> it's coming any day now. And they're playing a Sultai mid-range deck, some Noble Hierarchs, Ice Fang Quaddle, Snapcaster Mage Tarmogoyf, Mistress Bobble to go along with Companion Luris, also a Nissa Steward of Elements, which I think of as a three-mana Planeswalker, but is, you know, sneaky and still counts yeah, for Luris. Yeah. So that's kind of cute. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how good that card is. Like, I like this card a lot, but I don't think it's particularly great. And then... Yeah, just like some clings, a couple village rights, which is sort of weird, but, you know, discard, unearth, drown and lock. Yeah, mostly what you would expect to see out of this style of deck. Uh, this is like the Grixis stand-in here, kind of, or the, you know, close John analog as well, I think is a, f- a fine comparison to make, except you have... S- access to uh, some meaningful counter magic, which again, if that was what I wanted in the moment, I, I think you could talk me into this deck. Like I, I like a bunch of what's going on here. And I, I even like the fact that it's still playing Tarmogoyf and it's, it's doing that thing where like it will close out games early. Sometimes I think a lot of these decks get caught in the trap of just being like, Oh, I'm just going to play my value cards and I'll eventually get there. But this deck is going back to that old modern standby of just I'll turn one thought sees you turn two Tarmogoyf and occasionally that'll get the job done I think that happens rarely these days but I do like that this deck is sort of getting access to that and then backed up with a little counter magic you could talk me into playing a leak with this deck that's that's what I'll say about it yeah it's it's funny because there's a little bit more 
battlefield interaction or like combat interaction because the prowess cards are so good. Mm-hmm. But also Tarmogoyf will occasionally just get run down by those cards. And you do get outsized against things like Death Shadow and Scourge. So I can see the pros and cons of having Tarmogoyf, but I feel like there's there's got to be something better. Yeah, uh, well, certainly the recent recent modern trends point to there being something better. We don't see much Tarmogoyf these days, and usually there's a reason for that. We're seeing more than we did over like the last couple of years, but modern also had a few periods where it was just kind of busted. So nonsense. Yes, yes, very true. Uh, next up, Delthar, Simic Infect. Uh, saw some people talking about like the life game pump spell, potentially trying to find a way to abuse that. But uh, this is no new cards. No new cards. I, I do like that life game pump spell a lot, and I hope it finds uh, somewhere to shine. It feels like you can potentially get returns on that that are way above rate, but you're going to have to work for it, and you're going to need some good support cards to get there. I saw it in a modern deck. I believe it's in this league, but I didn't check. Okay, I hope so. I hope we get to see it. MTGO Bazaar 4, Selesnya Company, Heliod combo thing. These lists are super streamlined at this point. Uh, see a lot of people playing like Deicide and Erase. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this deck has a Deicide in the sideboard. So this is what I think most people would consider to be the best deck currently. And that's saying something, especially since you're playing on Magic Online and it's sort of hard to actually execute the combo and everything. But this, this deck shows up a lot. People... Mm-hmm are respecting it to the point where they're playing cards that are like basically good against it and nothing else. So you know that it is popular, prevalent, very strong. Yeah, it's like you mentioned, it's probably better than it seems to be right now because it is getting that level of play on Magic Online where it's a little bit problematic. And I wonder what this deck would be doing if we still had our live modern tournament circuit working at the moment. Uh, Would it just be absolutely dominating everything? And I think a lot of players naturally gravitate to this type of deck, and it being very good is only going to further force that action. Yep. Angled Lufa playing Lantern. I saw this maybe like in the last three months or so, maybe it was like six months ago even, where kind of new versions of this deck pop up and occasionally do well, even without Mox Opal, and this one has uh urza and like some talismans and you know you see some like very strange card choices because you you kind of have to at this point the the deck sort of got gutted but it does seem pretty strong against like the more mid-range slower stuff that people are doing in modern uh it it absolutely does not work here and it, it probably doesn't work in a bunch of scenarios where you want to play urza but i am curious if there's going to be a deck that looks to sort of double down on Urza's using Galazeth Prismari. Um, unlocking that kind of mana in modern could be a big deal. And we're seeing s- some of the power of just unlocking uh, your treasures being put forth in historic right now. There's like the Torrential Gear Hulk magma opus decks that are all over the place. And I, I wonder if there's some way to get Urza in the mix with all of that going on. Uh, I, I don't really even have a sketch yet. I don't have anything to offer, but redundancy in that effect should be powerful. I feel like you can exploit that in some way. Maybe. I, I normally feel like four Urza is probably enough for decks like that. Uh, I mean, especially since like Urza just lets you do whatever you want with the mana, right? So you would it have is to a be very sp- silly magic card. Very silly. 
Yeah, you you would have to specifically be doing instance and sorcery stuff for Galazeth to matter, which may or may not work out. Maybe you can find a shell for that. I don't know. Time will tell. Anyway, Lantern still present, technically viable. Mordekaiser, 80 card, Urian, Enigmatic Incarnation. Do I need to read this? I need you to read all 80 cards, please. No, I'm not doing that, especially since it's a lot of one-offs. Just the enchantment specifically. Are, are you not Are you not familiar with it? Do you think our listeners oh, are not familiar with it? Or? Oh, I'm very familiar. This, Me this, too. I, I, I love this card. Go I ahead and almost, read it. I almost wrote an article about this card. I did yeah. a lot of work on this in Standard when it came out and was just like, no, nah, this, is, this is probably nonsense. People aren't going to like this. And then it started showing up and I was like, I knew it. <laughs> I like this card a lot. Uh, 2GU, Enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice another enchantment. If you do, search your library for a creature card with mana value equal to one plus the sacrificed enchantments converted mana cost. I'm sorry, mana value. You did so well the first time. I I was so impressed. And then you you blew it on the second pass. Put that card on the battlefield and shuffle your library. So it's like you, you want this scale of enchantments and creatures, and it's this very weird birthing pot effect and... I was close to finding some homes for it in standard and obviously like bigger card pool in modern. It's a lot easier to just be like, I'll get Magus of the moon or whatever. Right. And it's like, yeah, Hey, that's, that's pretty good. You, you did it. Uh, in standard, it was a little more rough. It was like, all right, what do I have at three mana? That is just not an embarrassing card. Right. And it's like, Oh, I guess I play land or visionary or something, but uh, this, this has been showing up a lot in, in pioneer too, for whatever that's worth. I consider that kind of a fake format at this point, but Powerful card. I agree with you. I, I played this a bunch in standard alongside Urian as backup. So I probably had more of a Urian deck than I had an Enigmatic Incarnation deck. Uh, but doing a lot of our kind of Sun's Grace stuff and very easily finding wins once my Enigmatic Incarnation was online and just really enjoying the games too because you do get some of that uh, birthing pod creativity you get to show off, but it, it's not quite as busted as that. Like usually you just won the game if you activated your birthing pod in old modern. This is a lot more fair, a lot more requiring you to jump through some hoops. Although when you're adding things like Magus of the Moon to the mix, I guess it becomes less fair, right? You're basically trying to just get your opponent out of the game as soon as possible. And I think this deck will do that job in some scenarios. You you just kind of need your opponent to cooperate with you. Like that's that's what's going on here. If they want to try and play a fair game plan with you, you can overcome anything they're up to. You have all the tools. Uh, but the more degenerate stuff is always going to give decks like this fits. So we've talked like definitely in in person or online or whatever with each other about adding mana cost to things in order to you know put a gate on them so that they don't potentially break. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if we ever mentioned something like that on the cast or not, but like this is another way to do that, right? Where it's like specifically once per turn, you are able to do this. And then that leads to something like this being actually kind of fun versus yeah. birthing pod where you're like, all right, how do I abuse this? How do I cheat this? Yeah. How do I get multiple activations? And there's always going to be an answer to that. There's always going to be a way to cheat it. Here, the answers are much more ridiculous. And I, and I like this moving things to doing things in your end step, right? You're very clearly dictating when this is going to happen. There is immediate value that comes from it, which is, you know, in some ways more impressive than a card like birthing pod where if this is in play you don't need more mana it's just ready to go and that is cool obviously it costs more so you're you're paying for it elsewhere but i I do like how this is just very clean and it it feels like more more what was intended when they designed birthing pod right this is what they were hoping you would do 
Yeah. And this also gives your opponent a window to actually interact with it too, which, mm-hmm. you know, if you're playing the card, maybe it's, it's less feel good for you, but it's like feel good for your opponent. But yeah, this, this deck is cool because you have to build around so many different things, right? It's like, you need the enchantment package. You need the creature package. This uh, deck also has three copies of ephemerate. So against some players, you're going to find something like Skyclave apparition and then blink it a bunch. So you, you have a bunch of different sideways plans and, I don't know, it's it's like the the Kiki Cord decks, but just like dialed up as far as all the different toolboxy things that you can do. And yep. any like turn four or turn five that you could you play could go in so many different directions. It seems like a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. Never going to touch it, likely in modern, but <laughs> modern would be a hard sell, but I hope I get to do it again uh in standard before its time is done. Oh, here we go. Next deck. Ictomo 0912. I can't believe you did this to me. You got me so hyped for this card, and this is where it's going to show up. <laughs> okay, so Autocathon Worm, Nourishing Shoal, Fortifying yep. Drought. Yep. This is Neoform, Gristle Brand, but they banned Spirit Guide, right? So yeah. you you needed <laughs> like a weirder way to actually make mana on the turn that you're going off. So now we have Mox Amber and Springleaf Drum, which takes up a lot of deck slots, but that's just what they're doing now. So no more being able to play things like Serum Visions necessarily. And yeah, two copies of, of Fortifying Drought, I guess. You know, if you just want to drop an Allosaurus Rider and Shoal kill them, like that works too. It it does. It does work. You gain some life and then you you throw it at them with Rite of Consumption and GG, you, yep. you, you found your win. And I don't know how consistently this deck does its thing, but I'm this, sure this it's looks- like... This looks very glass cannony now. Uh, well, I mean, to, to say that in comparison to the old version of the Neoform deck is is saying a lot because that deck was already way too far along glass cannon side of the spectrum, and I, I agree this is going even further than that. So uh, you're not talking me into this one either, but I, I guess I'm still happy to see Fortifying Draw making a guest appearance here in the modern leagues. Well, the thing is, is once it shows up once then people are like, oh, this is a thing that you can do. And they'll start exploring it in other shells. Right. And this isn't this doesn't have that much to do with the actual Neoform combo, right? Like you you can slot this to other places if you really want to. I, I don't know how you do so efficiently, but I think now you have to at least consider it. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it, so it's like a four card combo, right? It's like creature, shoal, worm, drought, mm. and getting through unblocked is is lethal. And I'm sure that there is a package you can figure out that is, you know, reasonable to build around. Yeah, I think the hard thing is going to be replacing Shoal, probably. Like, that that's the piece you always need to draw, I, I am pretty sure. Um, but all the other stuff does have levels of redundancy besides, besides draw, too. So those two pieces are kind of non-negotiable, but I, I think the other stuff you can find multiple copies of. I'm sure there is something that benefits from you gaining 15 life in a turn. That you could build redundancy into, but who yeah, knows? I would, I would have to think about that, and uh, I don't want to. So yeah, done with it. Captain Schwiggles, Orzov, another Gristlebrand deck. This is Gorio's Vengeance on Obsidat. If you accomplish that, you you get to keep the Ghost Dad, which is cool. So that's somewhat redundant with Gristlebrands. This deck is kind of weird though, because if if you Gorio's Gristlebrand. There's no spirit guide. 
there's no like soul spike or anything in this deck. So you're just, you're capped on what you can accomplish that turn. It's basically yeah. just like fair gristle brand. They're yeah. rarely seen fair gristle. Brand. Yeah. Maybe I hit you for seven and draw seven cards and, and that's about it. Like you're breaking even on life, right? Because you have to pay the life that you gain. So yeah. best case scenario, maybe you have some extra mana open you get to like lightning axe some stuff or whatever, bolt them a couple times and you have a hand, ready to go for, for next turn. But, I mean, this deck has Magmatic Channeler, Season Pyromancer, Croxa. It's also just like a kind of fair mid-range deck, which is right. sort of- Right, Th- that's the return you're getting here, is you get to play like some fairly real cards, like your Thought Seizing, Inquisition, Collective Brutality, all that stuff is is good interactive magic. At some point, getting Obsidat online, that, that all tracks, that all seems fine. I think you're doing the quote-unquote busted stuff so rarely that I don't love this particular setup but maybe if you could find a way to just combine those two plans a little bit better, get a little bit more into the busted side of things, then you could sell me on the idea that this is a real setup that can work in modern. Because I, I do think you need those explosive games where you, you're you're up against something like Tron, right? Where you know it's just going to always do its thing on turn three, and that's, that's how it is, and you need to be able to do something explosive to compete with that. I, I want access to that. I want some way of accomplishing these things. Uh, and this deck simply doesn't have it. How's Kai doing? Is Kai he is okay? apparently very upset with something. I, I'm going to assume there's a dog walking through the neighborhood or something like that, and he has taken a very staunch objection to that dog intruding on his territory. How dare they? Right. They should know better. Next deck is from X 91 or something. Uh, Esper Control. This is... The, the all charms deck, effectively. Mm-hmm. Esper Charm, Arc Mage's Charm, Kaya's Guile. I I get it. I, I understand why this is a thing. People love Grixis and things like that. This is Esper. People love charms. So I guess like that's the reason why you play Esper over Grixis in this scenario. It's like, look at all these modes. Uh, these cards have mostly been outmoded by Planeswalkers. But I don't know. I, I think... The main games I see decks like this win are when people don't play around the charms effectively. Mm. So really good at leveraging skill differentials, you would say? I guess. I mean, Kaya's Guile now shows up in enough of these decks where I, I feel like people should be getting used to it, but I still see the blowouts. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add about this deck. I think it's been around long enough that you you know what it does, you know what it's capable of. People who love this, they're not listening to what I have to say about it. So why bother? Encowden, is it Deceiver XR Kiki Jiki uh, with a bunch of Blood Moons, a couple Crackling Drakes at the top end? Uh, it's it's basically like Pester Might with Kiki Jiki. I mean, that's game over, right? Sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll count it. We'll allow that to happen. Where are my new cards? I want new exciting cards. We're here for the Strixhavens, and I'm I'm talking about Kiki Jiki. Are you kidding me? One Prismari command in the sideboard. Okay, you you caught me. What's Thanks. up? Thanks. Okay, okay. This this next one doesn't necessarily have new cards, but I can kind of loop it in new cards. You ready for this? Great, I'm ready. Arhawk, Gruel, Valakut with Indomitable Creativity, just. Going off of Dwarven Mines and putting a bunch of Primeval Titans into play. I uh, love me a Dwarven Mine. I I think that's great. Uh, and I kind of believe in 
indomitable creativity. We're seeing a lot of it start to pop up in historic. Boom, look in at conjunction that. Look at that. With Magma Opus. And uh, I, I believe in it there. I, I think it's doing some really powerful stuff really consistently. And uh, those cards play really well. And maybe you could even talk me into doing some combination of those things here because like ramping to your primeval titan it's kind of just like playing another far seek right like it's just an additional land that you're using i mean i guess you miss out on the valica triggers or whatever but accelerating to your primeval titan is still a big deal and being able to more consistently trigger your indomitable creativity doesn't sound bad to me either so i wonder if we can do a little splicey splicey here and get these to work together i feel like this setup is mostly good enough i mean maybe you can make a case for Dwarven Mine not being enough, but if you, I mean, this deck has Explore, Farseek, Into the North, Search for Tomorrow. Like, you're almost certainly going to be a able lot to, of ways. to Dwarven Mine on four mana and then yep. just immediately pop it. So, yeah, we of course get to, uh, you know, search it up as well with our fetch lands. So, very consistent access to, dwar- to Dwarven Mine. That is true. Yeah, if you can't miss a sanctuary, uh, you're Dwarven Mining in modern. You know, that, that's what you got to be doing, right? <laughs> this is what they forced me to do. Look at what I've become. Yeah, I mean, this this is not bad. And I, I don't really, I mean, maybe you could play like a couple Magma Opus to add consistency to it or whatever. But I think that this setup is good enough. And this this is also not a new setup, right? Like this has been around for a right. while. Yep. But I, I was more skeptical of it up until recently where things like Transmogrify and Luca and now Creativity are seeing a lot of play and just like, to me, it seemed like it should be easier to interact with the polymorph. But just the way that decks are being built now as a result of what the formats look like, there's not a ton of spot removal in these decks. Yeah, I think we've all learned our lesson about these effects. And one of the things we said when Luca was having its moment in Standard was just like, were we supposed to be playing polymorph this whole time? Like, were, yeah. we, were we just dumb and didn't realize it? Because that happens in Magic. You'll go years with a class of card where you just dramatically underappreciate it. And I think the answer to that is mostly yes. You're, we were supposed to be doing more of this. I'm not saying we should be doing it all the time, but there are decks where it makes a lot of sense for this to be your plan. And you could convince me that this is one of them. Yeah, it's it suddenly, you know, after seeing the Is It decks in Historic, now I look at this deck and I'm just like, maybe this is the setup. You know, maybe this is what you were supposed to be doing all along. Could be. I, I wish we got a little bit more out of our mana base. I'll say that. Like, it's obviously not what it was when, like, you could feel the dead and play all these diverse game plans just based on what you had in your mana base. And that makes me a little sad. But I, I get why it's set up this way. I'm not trying to say I would change it. It just... I'm longing for the days when my mana base could basically do everything for me. Yeah, I understand. That makes sense. But, you know, this is just consistent. Yep. Absolutely. Darth Panda 47, mono blue Tron. I still have nothing to say here. This is this is a deck that's going to be in every deck dump till the end of time. And maybe at some point I'll have some input on it. It technically exists. It really does. It really does. Oh, here we go. Unagiel. Go, Brian. Go, Brian. It's go. go time, go. baby. Clever. Lumamancer. Sorry. Oh, oh almost Leonin, light scribe. Like and subscribe, as well as everyone's favorite, Niv Magus Elemental back in modern, baby. We all knew it was coming. It was just eight, a model. It was a matter of time. Niv Magus Elemental sitting on the sidelines, just 
you know, happy to be dismissed, happy to be slipped into my suitcases by people who think they're being funny, <laughs> mocking me about Niv Magus Elemental. That's fine. That can all happen. But who's laughing now? Who's holding all the Niv Magus Elementals? It's me. I've got them all. Unfortunately, Austin's not in here, but... He, th- he thinks he's a real riot. It, for folks who don't know, we uh, we shared a It was funny house. to me. <laughs> we shared a house for uh, the last GP slash PT in Virginia, in Richmond, Virginia, uh, with a bunch of folks from our Discord who we've become friends with over time. And one of our lovely guests here in the Discord, Austin, thought it was so funny to just anything I'd left in my room, I found a Niv Magus Elemental on it. I'm reading a book. Oh, there's a Niv Magus Elemental. I'm <laughs> I'm going through security, emptying my pockets. Oh, there's Niv Magus Elementals everywhere. He, he replaces like your ID with a Niv Magus or whatever. You know? Right. Yeah. Makes it so you can't board your plane home. It was a real disaster. But uh, like I said, really, Austin thought he was trolling me. What actually happened is I just have even more Niv Magus Elementals in my collection now. I I just took them out and put them in a box. I'm like, sweet, more free Niv Magus Elemental, basically. And uh, who's laughing now? This guy. It It is gas to me. It's like, you know, there are, there are pranks that happen spur of the moment. And that's kind of whatever. But like... He showed up to the house with like three oh, the level of them. the level of planning it took to just have that many Niv Magus elementals on hand was uh, especially after I had cornered the market like it, those things aren't easy to find at this point I own them all so it's really impressive for him to come up with some uh, anyway this this deck is solid it's okay yeah it's good it's it's still doing these Niv Magusy elemental type things really explosive turns Lumamancer is a, exactly the redundancy this deck was lacking i don't know that i buy light scribe yet like i i get it you you need something you, you can't just have the eight one drops i'm not sure how many games light scribe is really winning though i am i am concerned about that so judging from this deck list and a bunch of other ones that i've seen i think that there's another one in here that's you know a bunch of prowess creatures right mm-hmm. and, and lumamancer if you are going to uh commit to niv magus so that you have Flusterstorm and Ground Rift, maybe not all eight copies, but you know, six to eight somewhere in there. I don't think that you then want Swift Spear. Okay. You just you need to get paid on the copy, basically. Yeah, because like, you know, Swift Spear with Ground Rift doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. And now so like Light Scribe plus Ground Rift is like, okay, cool, that's gonna be, I don't know, like eight damage or something. And this deck only has two assault strobes, no battle rages or anything like that. It's like mm. I guess you're getting paid, but probably not in the amount that actually kills your opponent. So I'm still not sure if it's actually worth it. Yeah, I, I don't have a, like a replacement plan, um, but I would like to believe there's something a little bit more efficient we could do. Like I, I'm not trying to go back to our, our Flame King Harbingers or anything like that. That was not the solution, but nope. uh, I, I do wish we could find something else to play in this slot. Maybe that will be the moment where this deck is just soundly the best thing you can possibly do when we get our third creature to add to the oh, mix man. that's really all we're missing at this point look at how much better this deck list looks than the one that we played in the pro tour though it's oh like, yeah it's night and day we had to play slaughter pact and pact of negation which basically didn't do anything mm-hmm. uh we had assault strobe and tainted strike we had six of those we only had four ground rifts which was like the power spike card and this sideboard gets to play Bedlam Reveler, which was like the exact sort of effect that we wanted for things right. like Jund. You know, it's yep. like this deck is so much better than it was. Yeah, things have gotten better. And for, uh, for whatever that is, I don't know. Yep. 
love to see it. Loris in the sideboard too. Can you imagine having Lur- like that? Just seems like a fever oh, dream yeah. that you would be able to Loris. Yeah, yeah. That's that's also kind of a joke, I suppose. Yeah, big upgrades. Hiroko, Winota, Angrass Marauders, and some humans and some non-humans. That is generally how we do these things. That's how we put together Renota decks. Uh, this is certainly one of those. This looks like a Pioneer deck, where I think it's very solidly Tier 2 in that format, so probably about the same here. Yeah, it's, it's Steckless is funny to me, too, because it's Eldritch Evolution, which makes sense. You know, your Eldritch Evolution, your Strangle Rook Geist, or Season mm-hmm. Pyromancer, or whatever. Yeah. And the only real bullet is Magus of the Moon, and then the sideboard is just all bullets. <laughs> we'll fix that in post-board games. We'll yeah. just, that's when we'll get our bullets sorted out. It's, I, I kind of get it, sort of. It's it's weird, but yeah. Uh, next deck is from Nito, Neto, N3TO. Uh, Blue Red Storm, two copies of Expressive Iteration. There you go, Brian. New card. Jerry, this was your uh, number one card in standard for Strixhaven. Let's check in on that assessment, first of all. Are you still big on this in Standard? Because I actually, it might sound like I'm trolling you. I've really liked this card in Standard. I know it's not getting a ton of play, but my experience with it has been very positive. And then I want to know what you think of this card in Modern. Uh, Modern in Prowess, I like a lot. In a deck like this, I'm I'm less high on it. But this this deck like really did want a draw to. So if this is the card that you play on turn three to like make your land drop and, you know, impulse for the ritual that you need or whatever, I I think that that's pretty good. Obviously, you don't want to flood on them. uh, So like two copies kind of makes sense. In standard, I think that, uh, again, like we talked about earlier, there weren't a lot of people uh, exploring standard because there wasn't a whole lot of reason to. So there hasn't been a whole lot of advancement made. I think that there's a lot of exploration to be done in standard still. And at that point, I think this card will show up more. I would assume that there's a card that I like more in standard than this. Uh, Vanishing Verse, for example, has shown up a lot in, in decks that I think are kind of bad, but it's still shown up a lot. Whereas I think that this is a card that is probably pretty good in, in decks that are good. You know, Teamer, is it stuff like that? So I don't know. I, I think it's still good. Maybe it's not like slam dunk the number one best card or whatever, uh, but it's also hard for me to pinpoint exactly what that card is. Yeah, I've played this a bunch in uh, basically my is it dragon setups, uh, and I think it's one of the reasons why you can start to think about leaving green behind, and it, it does good things in that role. Like I said, I'm not 100% sold on that idea yet, but this is one of the reasons I believe you can start to get away from green. It's it's just done what I've needed it to, and uh, it it's, scales very, very well into the late game. Getting three cards deep for basically whatever you need is awesome, especially when you have like a bunch of seven mana win the games in your deck, especially when you're playing Galazeth Prismari and you have access to mana to cast this uh, a little bit more freely. So it's impressed me in that scenario. Even if it hasn't set standard on fire yet, I, I do think this is going to see more play as time goes on. Yeah, you have Galazeth, you have some artifacts that maybe can't cast Goldspan Dragon, but you can cast this effectively for free, find the Goldspan Dragon, cast it off the lands that you have, stuff like that. So I, I think it is good in those setups. Scipios Dredge, four copies of Throwing Discovery. This is scary. This isn't yeah. like Faithless Looting scary, but these cards are powerful. De- deck didn't need much to be, I mean, it was already like occasionally tier one, it, it very metagame dependent uh, is how I would classify Dredge. It comes in and out of favor, but certainly on par with the most powerful things you can be doing in modern. And then you add 
this level of consistency, card draw, and even the life gain matters. Like you play games on very thin margins against the more aggressive decks in this format, and picking up two life can really be a difference maker in those scenarios. So I think Thrilling Discovery did a lot to move this archetype soundly into tier one. Now, Dredge has a hard time occupying that status for any prolonged period of time because it is always going to be vulnerable to hate. That's just how things go with Dredge. Uh, but in the moment, I think you you can't do much better than choosing to play Dredge until people respect it properly. And I think I'm starting to come around to the idea of like, we should never let Dredge be a thing in modern. I, I don't think it's like net positive for it ever to be good enough I am fairly confident that banning Creeping Chill would just be net positive, and because that's the that's the card that really takes it to like stupid levels where you just don't feel like you're participating in the game, and it's it becomes a complete crapshoot. Like, oh, how many Creeping Chills did you hit? And that's going to determine whether or not I can actually have a chance in this game, and uh, it's not a great feeling. So I, I would sort of look to make a quality of life buff to modern rather than a this is broken type move uh, for an adjustment. And I think those things should be like on the table more often in modern, especially when they're not completely invalidating a deck. I think if you take out Creeping Chill from this deck, there's still moments where this could be the correct thing to be doing. And you're not just punishing someone to losing their pet deck and they never get to play it again. I think there's still a chance to. It just This should never be the best thing to be doing. And I think Thrilling Discovery pushes it a lot towards being the best thing to be doing. The problem I have with that is that there's just always going to be something else. But it doesn't have to be that egregious. I know you're right. I know there's there's no reason why like something else won't step in to take Dredge's place, but it, it doesn't have to feel quite as bad, I think. And, and that's how you, you make modern a popular format. And nightmare matchups over the long term, they do have an effect on people's participation. And obviously, this is all completely nonsensical because we can't participate in modern. We can't go play FNM and see what modern attendance looks like. So maybe there's just a time down the road that we can have this discussion and that's fine. Yeah. But I, I don't love that card being present in the format. I just mean in, in the case of dredge, like they'll find another card to, to use to kill you basically. Yeah. There'll be something yeah. printed in the future, you know? So I, I yeah. agree with the premise where it's like, you know, Dredge is kind of silly. There should be a graveyard deck in modern, absolutely, but you know, maybe not to this degree. <laughs> Thrilling Discovery does help them a lot. I, I do think it's kind of funny where if this gets countered, force negation, whatever, you're not getting the discard like you would with Cathartic Reunion. So it's yeah, like, which which is better? Do you have like a, a snap take over which is actually a better card in this deck? I mean, it's Reunion for sure. Like you, you want to get if you're playing against someone who's countering your stuff you you would rather just deposit your dredger in the graveyard and like get that going next turn you know you don't you don't really care like that like your your discard outlet getting countered is the thing that's most annoying to you not like oh i had to discard two cards like that's a benefit do you think there's an argument that the the difference of thrilling discovery and other scenarios is enough where it makes it the better like does the two life ever matter enough to make you consider it a more important card for dredge? This is kind of a silly conversation. It doesn't really matter what the answer to this is, but I find it interesting. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make you suffer through it. Depends on the metagame. I mean, I I initially didn't think the creeping chill would matter very much in modern dredge. I thought it would be good in legacy dredge because that deck played more of like a putridimp Icarid kind of beatdown game against opponents yeah, yeah. who are like slightly disrupting you. So it's like, yeah, I could see where chill would be relevant. Like this helps you race Delver and get in like the last few points after your board gets terminus or whatever. So 
I liked it there. And then for this one, it was like, well, you mostly just completely overwhelm people, right? And that is true, except against aggro decks that race you or like mm-hmm. burn stuff like that. So uh, Creeping Chill made those kind of like half beatdown games more palatable and against burn, it definitely gave you like that extra turn or two that you needed. And then this yep. helps too. Like it, it just further solidifies uh, its matchups in certain spots. Like obviously there are matchups where like two life, who cares completely irrelevant. But if you're, if you're racing someone, then it does matter a lot. Yeah. I, I hope this deck isn't, out of control the next time we check in on modern i, I hope it's, it hasn't become the focal point of the format yeah me too next up john john just got control of all the things that you could be doing in modern this is like kind of a boring one i understand why people like this this one has four cleansing wildfire four flagstones also love it a rip apart in the sideboard like you know cool you're doing some different stuff but uh, you know, oh no, I was going to say like, there, there are other cooler things you could be doing. And then I saw the castle of Antris in the mana base. Now I'm just even more off it. I, I'm not going to make you talk about a castle of Antris deck. We can just move on. No gain or loss. I'm trying to, trying to take this all in. I, I saw like some familiar cards and then some weird cards. Uh, Azorius Stoneforge Mystic. Love it. Love it. I, I want to play this deck again, because there are things like Skyclave Apparition that have added a lot to it. Shark Typhoon too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was working on this when Shark Typhoon came out. So like that was in some of my lists, but I uh, haven't actually went back and tried to reconfigure them after Skyclave Apparition. So there's, there's a lot of work here to be done. A lot of cool things that you could be doing. This list doesn't have Skyclave Apparition. It does have like Blast Zone and Castle Ardenvale where I was like, what, what's going on? Well, yeah, I mean, this deck is is solid. It's a little bit underpowered, but it's it's like the sweet spot for it where I want to be. I was really hoping you'd get into this deck list and start to like think positive about it. And then I got to the castle part of the land list and I was like, oh, Castle Vantress, Castle Vantress, Castle Vantress. No, Arden no, Vail. it was a Castle Iron Mail instead. Respectable um, in a deck with a bunch of equipment in Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, it makes a little bit of sense. Uh, I, one thing I'll I would point not out, play it, but whatever. <laughs> one thing I'll point out is that white sideboard cards tend to come into play on mass uh it's it's weird that some of the ones i would expect to see here like one of the reasons i often want to do things like this is for access to rest in peace and i understand like you're a snapcaster deck but it's pretty easy to get away from that most of the time in postboard games where rest in peace is good and if if dredge is really good i like having access to that card again of course uh, we already mentioned deicide so that is that is present your favorite timely reinforcements here. So th- there's a lot of good stuff happening in terms of what you have access to in post-board games. I-, I do think there needs to be some smoothing out here of the wrinkles, but I-, I don't hate this archetype. It's just hard for it to be the best thing to be doing. There's generally been uh, a mix of like Rest in Peace and Ashiok. Like when there are Primeval Titan decks, you usually need Ashiok and then that covers some of your bases. So mm-hmm. uh, normally it's like a 2-1 split. That's kind of... Or like 2-2 if there's a lot of graveyard stuff. So that's probably why Rest in Peace is not here. Ashiok is just kind of taking that place, even though obviously it's way worse against Dredge. Right. Yeah, I think you at this point the metagame has diversified enough where you gotta ca- cover both those angles. So yep. Beijiao, Sigarda's aid, Colossus Hammer, now with magnetic magnetic theft. Uh it's it's fine. Yeah, fine. Fine. It exists. No, no notes. Kind of fallen out of favor against all the Heliod decks, I think. 
a little bit more inconsistent, I would say, and and no real B plan. It's kind of just you do this thing. It's it's got to be good enough, and it, it it certainly is good enough when it comes together. It just doesn't come together with quite the consistency you would like for this deck to have gotten into tier one territory. Yeah, you, you bonk them or you don't. Hmm. Lilia, go Brian. Fantastic deck choice. Back to thirty two land amulet titan. You love to see it. There's there's nothing flashy here, but look. And a turn timber symbiosis. It's like 33. 33 lands. Thank you. Uh, you. You don't have to be flashy when it comes to Amulet Titan. You do this one thing. You do it really well. Of course, using Dried of the Elysian Grove these days alongside Valakut. We we miss you. Feel the dead. RIP. Crumbling Vestige as one of the lands here. I don't really object to that. That's fine with me. Love the Castle Garen Briggs. All typical amulet titan stuff and i am so thankful that this seems to have come back around to at least be reasonable again because uh i own this stupid deck in foil and if that's going to be the case i i really want to get my money's worth out of it and uh it's it's a lot of money at this point so i need to be able to play this for the rest of my life basically to get my money's worth i even played your deck once you did yeah well it wasn't quite my it it wasn't amulet titan it was uh well yeah i played a lot of your cards once yeah, yeah, a lot of those shinies. Well, one of the cards I ha- have never gotten to use is uh, Dryad of the Elysian Grove. And at least not in these large numbers, because I know I only got my uh, four beautiful foil full art copies after the pandemic had started. So they, they are untouched, just absolutely pristine, waiting to get their go in Amulet Titan. Z Best Max. Thos's Oracle spoils the vault. Ad nauseum, I guess. How how are they winning? Well, uh, I guess it's just Thassa's Oracle at this point. Yeah, but like, how how do you have seven mana? You got to have mana on the turn. Uh, That seems way worse. Pentad Prison built up. Sheldock Isle. Sheldock Isle. Okay, Sheldock Isle works. You can do that. I Um, I like that as the backup plan. That is really good. We talked about that before. Yeah. Like I said, so much of this deck was based on its ability to play timing games. It's harder to do that in these scenarios now that we've lost Simeon's Fair Guide. It's not impossible. You can you can still do this at instant speed, but a, a lot more, I think, has to go right. And you don't have the same kind of protection you had previously when you were relying on things like, you know, possibly Besaju out of the sideboard was a very important card in moments where the metagame got very hostile. And I don't think that's the metagame we're in right now. So you know, if a bunch of people are trying to dredge, this is sort of appealing to me. Like I, I like that we can go in this direction instead and uh, get some easy combo kills. Seems so slow to me. Three ad nauseum. Yeah, I mean, you're mostly trying to set up like Oracle spoils Angel's Grace, right? I I don't know. I, I it's been so long since I've dabbled in a little bit of uh, ad nauseum that I I maybe shouldn't comment on it at this point. But it just seems like you need to maximize how many chances you have of doing your thing, and whether your thing is Angel's Grace ad nauseum or anything else. Like you want to be able to play those games that go long where you do have access to that tremendous boost of mana. I, I think it's fine to plan for those games as well. I guess you just don't have as many clean kills with it, so you have to back away from it a little bit. And that makes me say it's probably time to not be playing this deck anymore. I like the versions that are just trying to do the Oracle thing. I think that that's cool and that makes sense. But like ad nauseum and needing a bunch of mana is a little awkward. So you just want to skip the ad nauseum package entirely. You're done with that. It seems better to me. Okay. 
yeah, maybe that's the path forward for this deck. Next up, best deck in the history, Frank Bonaparte. Wow, wow. <laughs> Gruel Ensnaring Bridge. Arbor Elf, Utopia Sprawl, Pillage, Blood Moon, Karn the Great Creator, uh, a couple Chandra Torture Defiance, and a couple Chandra Heart of Fire. Let me tell you something. I, I just love the idea that Frank Bonaparte, you know, gets home from work or whatever they accomplish on a particular day and they just want to unwind and they go, you know how I'm going to get my kicks in tonight? Blood Moon in Snaring Bridge. Blood Moon Snaring Bridge on turn two. That's all I want. I just want someone to feel the same pain I felt going through my day today. <laughs> Now at the end, at the conclusion, I want them to have that experience. Is is so. that like uh, Agretzko? Uh, kind of, yeah, yeah. I could see that. So if you don't know Agretzko, it's uh, an anime about a office worker who's just in like a horrible office job, and she goes at the end of her work days and sings like death metal karaoke in karaoke bars as her way to unwind. And I, I think there are some similarities to Agretzko and Frank Bonaparte's approach to the <laughs> the, the post work day, the post work day unwind session. Yeah, I I didn't watch the entirety. I liked the premise, but like the the show itself was, you know, kind of medium. But I think it's not the correct show for you. Generally, are are off that kind of goofy vibe. But we shouldn't get too deep on anime because I think this anime season is really good, and I have lots of opinions on it. And I could oh, very dear. easily just hijack hijack the rest of the show talking about it. So don't tempt me. All right, Jordy to tour Bogles. I definitely don't have anything to say about this. So oh, I got we, can, we can just keep going. Matt Flacco, Goblins, two Pyre of Heroes. Uh, I really like Pyre of Heroes. I hope it has a moment. I'm not sure that this has added anything new to this archetype. I, I think you're just kind of waiting to see if you get the, the why am I forgetting the name of the stupid big thing? Oh my Muxus. You're waiting to see if someday Muxus comes to your format and then you can finally be the goblins deck you've always wanted to be. But uh thankfully we're not there yet, and I'm not sure we ever will be. And Pyre of Heroes probably not carrying us to greatness. Ball tap. Nice, nice screen name. Love it. Urian, Fires of Invention. Okay. Transmogrify, Velomachus, okay. Bunch of Planeswalkers, Savor the Moment, Time, time warp. warp. Savor the Moment. We're up to In, some stuff indomitable here. Indomitable Creativity. Uh, this is like seven different decks coming together, and yep. it looks good because Fires, Planeswalkers uh, was already passable, and sure. Fires was Savor the Moment, and Planeswalkers, very good. Velomachus, uh, we talked about when it came out. It's like it hits... Hits time warp. Uh, if you do things to bump its power, it could hit all runs epiphany. But now you have Savor the Moment. Velomachus itself has vigilance. Mm-hmm. This is all working out, man. This looks good. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of holes that I could possibly punch through this, but there's powerful cards. I mean, I, I guess you're like kind of slow for the modern format. Yeah. Like you don't really do anything before turn three at the earliest. But I, am I really going to call a deck slow that could potentially win on turn three? Like, growth spiral into some kind of tra- transmogrifying does it for you. Can you get a token in play by that time? Yeah. Well, you yeah, you, just dwarven mine, right? Yeah. You play dwarven mine as your fourth land and transmogrify sure. that. Yeah. So there you go. You just went on turn three after your, your lore hold hits your time warps and save the moments. And that strikes me as plenty good for the modern format. I don't know how consistently you're doing that, but we're up to basically six, six transmogrify effects with the addition of indomitable creativity and, 
eight time warps. So you're going very deep with your Velimachus lore holds. You get uh, seven chances to find one of those eight time warp, time warps, time walks. And you should get there a pretty good percentage of the time. And you even get like rerolls in the next few turns as you go into Valakut Awakening, where you just get to put your hand back and, and look for your time warp that you can then pay retail on. Right. So I think if this deck attacks with Velimachus Lorehold, it's winning a very large percentage of the time. And it seems to me that it's pretty good at getting there. So all the lands make red. I was wondering what the difference is between creativity and transmogrify because you can't creativity where X is two because the only thing is Velmachus, right? So I right. guess it's right. just split for meddling mage reasons. Sure, that, that tracks. If, if they are functionally the same, then I, I think that's 100% correct. Yeah. Velican Awakening is kind of awkward because it's not a mountain for Dwarven Mine. You can't grow spiral off of it, but it seems reasonable considering what the deck is trying to do and you want a way to shuffle in Velomachus if you draw both copies or whatever. So yeah, yeah this all tracks. This might be a now, good this might be a good pioneer deck too. Does does this need to be 80 cards is the question I have. Like is that really the road we need to go down? Because when you're trying to hit, you know, some very specific cards off your Velomachus. Now, granted, it's it's very good for your reducing your odds of drawing the Velomachus. I think that's kind of important. Yep. But what's your opinion? Just real quick. I'm obviously putting you on the spot having not played with this deck, but 80 cards. Do you think that maybe there's a better 60 card version out there? There are 16 fetch lands and four Dwarven mines. So I think you're kind of covered on that base. Okay. Uh, you could play up to eight transmogrifies if you wanted to, to, you know, feel like you're functionally 60 cards. Right. And yeah. so the the upside is that you have fires into Urian, which is powerful with planeswalkers and stuff, versus having quote unquote consistency. But I think that the consistency is is there already. It's like you you have okay. as much of it as you want. Yeah, I mean, we certainly saw it with Jeskai Luca, right? I, I would not describe that as an inconsistent deck, despite the fact that it was playing eighty cards. It did its thing very reliably, and you can find setups that allow you to do so. Lots of good pieces here. Jace, Tamio, uh, protection with Teferi, early disruption in the form of Renin Six, making all your land drops. It it looks really promising to me. Okay, I guess the thing that you can make an argument for it's like, is there something that you need to draw specifically uh, that you would want to be sixty cards? It's like half the lands, over half the lands are dwarven mines, so that's covered, right? Mm-hmm. and you can play more transmogrifies if you wanted to, so I think that's covered too. The thing that I would maybe argue for is like you draw Grow Spiral more often, but you could also play more of that in Explore if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. But I think playing, Teferi might be a really important card in, in several matchups where you always want to draw it. That card's obviously very good, but so you have four savers and four time warps, which is a lot, and if you wanted to increase the consistency of what you actually hit one off of Elamachus and continue to combo off, then I guess that's your reason for 60. And I'm curious how many time walks you would actually play if you were playing 60 cards. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Saver kind of works as the world's worst worst growth spiral. And that's not a bad place to be with that card, I think. So I I think even if I was playing 60, you'd talk me into just playing the full eight. Yeah. So then your odds of hitting go up by a lot. I'm not sure what the math is, how much it changes it, but that would be the argument, I think. And then I don't know, stuff like Tamiyo, it's like, that's kind of whatever. Maybe you don't need Jace as much. The yeah. fourth Shark Typhoon, whatever. Like there's 
there's a lot of cars that you could certainly shave to get down to 60 and be reasonable. And then it's like, do you care about losing urine? I mean, it's really good with fires. So maybe mm-hmm. but you, you could play 60 if you wanted. Uh, I, I am putting this on everyone's list as a, a very good homework assignment. If you're looking for a deck you can spend some time on in modern and maybe come out of it with the next big thing. This seems like it's checking the right boxes. Pioneer too. I mean, I guess like Teferi and Renin Six are gone, aren't like, mm-hmm. are not in there, but mm-hmm. you have reasonable planeswalkers, and I believe Fires is still legal. Again, I consider Pioneer fake format, so I'm not really paying attention, but that is that is my last recollection of Pioneers that you were still allowed to play Fires of Invention. So I don't think that's changed. Yeah. So I mean you could do this there too. Worth a shot. Sanitoter. 16 prowess creatures for expressive iteration. Yeah, you said you like this, and looking over this deck, it seems pretty consistent, pretty powerful. I don't know that you are going to immediately sell me on the idea that this is better than just being like as aggressive and burn-ish as possible, but I'm willing to at least consider it. I don't think there's a big opportunity cost to playing some copies of this card. I, I guess I'm less concerned with this card and more concerned with things like opt and vapor snag as opposed to uh, things that can more consistently generate damage as so are, some of the other options. So are you talking be? about playing just mono red instead? Because I'm, I'm fine with that. I think mono red or even like Boros Prowess is something you could consider. I, I'm not sure that going blue in particular, I mean like the biggest draw to blue has to be expressive iteration. And that's like, am I actually running out of the cards I need to kill my opponent before I do so? And Stormwing Entity is there too, but I, I don't think Stormwing Entity in this deck is like, particularly above the other options. Like it's a fine card, but it's not what's pushing me in this direction. Yeah. They're not even playing a ton of zeros. There's metamorphosing growth right, to turn right. to it. So this deck isn't playing light up the stage either. And I think that you can make an mm. argument for iteration versus stage, even though iteration is kind of better with the prowess stuff since you get to do it on main A versus main B. But I guess like when you have lava darts and occasionally gut shots in the mix, I mean, you can stage on main A anyway. So sure. Yeah, fair enough. It's close. I wonder I wonder if you could just do both and have that be reasonable, but it might be too much air. Well, you know I I love a lot of air in my deck, so yeah. you could you could certainly get me there. AFX Boros Burn, Luris, I don't know. Bobble, one seal of fire, pretty normal. Deck's still here, still probably real. Cedric will probably win another PTQ with it, so keep it going. Brainstorm 39, Mono Blue Tron. I thought we already did Mono Blue Tron. Didn't <laughs> no. we already talk about so this? It's not It's not by archetype. It's by amount of card difference. And uh, there, there is a large card difference between this cares? deck and the other one. Dude, what, wait what until we get to the other Blue Tron list. No, there can't be a third Blue Tron Oh, there's Tron a third list. one. Oh, I got to take a timeout. Hold on. Currivor, another uh, 80 card deck. This is like the Azorius control decks. Uh, JB2002 is a (laughs) Japanese player who played that deck all the time. Every format where it was legal, didn't matter how good it was. It was like Wall of Omens, Kitchen Finks, Sun Titan, Restoration Angel, uh, occasionally Sun Titan. Okay. But I remember bringing this up to Kenji and he just laughed because I was like, I was like, he's Japanese, right? JB2002. And he just, he just died laughing. And that, because it's like so obscure for me to know this and pay attention to it. And it's like that dude was doing it for like 15 years or something. (laughs) 
And so you think this is his alt, Currywor? No, no, Currywor. I've I've seen enough, and I think playing different decks. But mm. uh, J- JB played one way, only one way. And Gotta respect it. Yeah. Gotta respect it. And Kenji just thought it was so funny that I knew this like very obscure Japanese magic player, you know. Uh, but that's yeah, that, that's what I think of when when I see this list. Although I if okay, I'm gonna go to Goldfish now and look up JB and see when the last time they cashed was. Because I, I'm actually curious whether or not they would update their deck with Urian. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, 919-2020. I feel like Aquaria was after that. Why do I not know? Oh, there's a Urian. Yeah? Yeah. Eighth place in a modern challenge. (laughs) And that was it? That was the last time? They're like, you know what? I've actually had enough of this. I'm going to go ahead and pack this one up. Well, so as far as we know, like... Uh, they they could have been playing this entire time and just never cashed anything. I don't know. Oh wow, Aquaria was in April. I, well, why did I even try and understand time for 2020? What a joke that was. Oh, apparently JB was playing like Euro Astrolabe when that was legal. So okay, expanding the range a little bit. But dude, okay, seriously, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this link in the live chat. All right, I'm clicking it. Just like look, <laughs> look at the list, right? And it's like nine pages of results, and you yeah, go down, it's, and it's all it's white long. blue. It's real long. It goes back to like extended dailies, plain white blue, and extended yeah. dailies. Hey, people have a type, you know. Okay, so the last one is January sixth, twenty eleven. Four wall moments, four kitchen finks, four sun titan. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. I knew sun titan was going to be in the mix. Yep. Uh, well, this this was before resto. It had to have been right. 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 But yeah. This is this is a, a JB two K two deck. That's all I have I to cl- say about it. I clicked on a random one and got a Dragon Lord Ojatai, Gideon Jura. Like, oh yeah, he's looking for random blue white cards that are going to make you happy. You could just go through this list forever. Yeah, just an absolute legend. A decade, <laughs> a decade straight of casting Wall of Omens. Love it. Can you imagine? Uh, kind of. Sometimes I feel like my whole life has just been casting Wall of Omens, like not really getting anywhere, but maybe picking up a card yeah, or two. Spinning those wheels. Yeah. Respect the cat. Another eighty cards. Uh, just death and taxes, basically. Noble hierarch. Yeah, nothing to really report here. Fine, disruptive elements, kind of similar to the historic green white decks in some ways. I, I guess we have uh, Apollo showing up, so that's worth noting. For yeah. the Spellbinder yep, making yep, yep. the cut here. So I know we're both very high on this card, so that doesn't surprise me at all. Did I have to sway you? Was that you or was that someone else? Uh, I, I think what you and I were talking about was Redain versus Paulo. Okay. And I was of the opinion that Redain could still be better in several scenarios. And I, I don't think you were, but I, w- I was never off the card. Like I, I thought it was quite good from the beginning. Okay. Next deck, Otaba. This is another oldie, but a goodie. Uh, 21 land, eight, four Aether Vile, Tarmogoyf, Snapcaster Mage, Eternal Witness, Huntmaster of the Fells, Seasoned Pyromancer, Cryptic Command, Archmage's Charm. This is like not quite Grixis Lover type of stuff, but this sort of deck definitely attracts a type. This is like the Shota uh, 2015, I think, Players Championship deck. Why, why is this an Aether Vile deck? 
because Wynn isn't Snapcaster, and then you get to vial those in and encrypt command things. That's that's cool. I don't I don't know that you need to ether vial though to like be able to do those things. No, but you get to. <laughs> okay, I I can't argue with that. You know what? You you win. Yeah, I don't know. So you you ether vial on three. You like witness your witness. I don't know. So you take your crappy blue mid range shell, right? Like your your JB two thousand two deck, <laughs> right? And slap an ether vial in it. And ether vial is just black lotus for your mediocrity. And that ten, if everything comes together, then you have a real deck. Well, who am I to judge that type of approach? Anyway, uh, yeah, this is it has Archmage's Charm and Season Pyromancer, which are obviously very good cards and very good cards for this archetype. If you want to call this an archetype, but I, I don't know. It is weird to me that this deck is showing up again. It's like whoa. This deck also has the just absolute unfettered confidence of. Uh, the type of player who says, I'm going to get to cast my spells no matter what. I don't care what the mana costs are on these spells. Three Eternal Witness, two Season Pyromancer, four Archmage Charm, three Cryptic Command. Dude, three Flooded and Grove. Three Flooded Grove. That's a lot of Flooded Groves. And also Aether Vial is there to go ahead and fix that creature mana. So season, who might argue? Season Pyromancer still seems pretty impossible to cast. There's also like four islands, one forest. You know? it's, it's fine. Like, eh. Un- unfettered confidence. Just yeah. this is going to work out. Everything's going to be fine. Yes. Just believe, man. That's it. That's all you got to do. Tito Wee 96, 80 cards. Pillage, Stone Rain, also Luca, Sahili, <laughs> Felidar Guardian. <laughs> Arboreal Birds of Paradise, Noble Hierarch. So if you Luca them, you will either get Felidar Guardian or Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. Uh, and if you have Felidar Guardian but can't kill your opponent, I guess you could Luca that into Emrakul. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you're just doing. Planeswalker value things, Blood Moon, Oath of Nyssa, etc. I'm not going to do this for the rest of the time we have a podcast. At some point, I promise I will stop doing this. But still, every now and then, it just it just strikes me, and it's a genuine moment of like, wow, that you just you used to just cast Urian from a zone where it couldn't be interacted with. And it didn't cost more mana. And that was a real thing you could do. And then you look at something like this and you're like, it, it just blows my mind that they let us do that, do that without any restrictions whatsoever. And now that we have to pay three additional mana, an entire Black Lotus's worth of mana, we still go, yeah, that's fine for modern. I'll happily play 80 cards to get access to this thing. Well, what if you have Aether Vial and five? That's true. It becomes much easier. And that's almost two Black Lotuses worth of mana. And this deck has Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl, so. Right. They're essentially all Black Lotuses. I understand why this deck is doing so well. Or you could look at it like you're casting Pillage and Stone Raid and setting your opponent so far back that you're getting extra Black Lotuses worth. We call that the reverse Black Lotus in the business. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or Blood Moon, so they can't cast anything, right? Then you have all the time in the super world. Super Lotus, Super Lotus. Anyway, man, yeah, this is, again, three decks shuffled together. I like it. Uh, That's something I did for a long time. And sometimes you find uh, something special by doing that. I squee. Uh, I'm surprised a deck like this is still good. This is uh, mono red, basically prison. Uh, no spirit guide, but you have gemstone caverns. This deck is playing desperate ritual. Mm. A, a lot slower, I would think. I wonder if this deck chooses to be on the draw with Gemstone Caverns, but there's that's you know, interesting. Yeah, I could potentially see that. Blood Moon, Rabble Master, Two Magus of the Moon, some Ensnaring Bridge, Maze Mind Tome. 
uh, Relic of Progenitus, Karn, Chandra, some Slag Storm. So, like, obviously a nod to they know that their deck has slowed down. Things like Maze Mind Tome, Slag Storm, like, these these games are going to be a lot slower. So this is more like, you know, a, a more traditional prison deck, I think, than, like, Moon Stompy or, or whatever legacy folks are calling it these days. So you always accuse me of uh, intentionally punning at you and trying to pass it off. And I was, I was, my first reaction to Desperate Ritual was that desperate times call for desperate measures, but it really wasn't meant to do that. And then after I recognized that is in fact what I would be doing, I checked myself, slowed myself down and didn't just drop it on you because I want to be genuine with you and let you know that I was not trying to make that desperate pun. It, it was just there in my head for some reason. That's, that's what the name of the card pushed me towards. And uh, things are getting a little desperate for these decks. So they need to find ways if, to produce that three mana. What if they had Paretic Ritual instead? Paretic Times call for Paretic. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what that word means. Do you me, know what that me means? Either. No, I'm going to look I, I assume it means like some kind of blaze of. Fevered, glory. feverish, or inducing fever. Okay. Sure, that kind of tracks. That feels like a very red word. I get why we use that all the time. Well, hold on. Google's telling me that it's only with one R. I was always spelling it with two. Uh, no, it's only one R. Okay. Apologies to my editors, I guess. Is it spelled that way on the card as well? Yeah. Okay, so you've just been doing it wrong. Yes. I, I was curious if it was like a, a magic word, you know what I mean? Where it's yeah. like very close, something like Lumamancer, where it feels like it should be Lumamancer. Yeah. Lumen answer. <laughs> next deck, next step is the screen name. Uh, another Sultai deck, uh, a little bit different than uh, Selfie Sex deck. More counterspells, Archmage's Charm, Cryptic Command, no Noble Hierarch. Still a Luris deck with Bobble, Ice Fang, Snapcaster, Tarmogoyf. This deck was pretty popular for like a week. Yeah, I really want this to be good. I think it's doing some cool stuff. Type of magic I like to play. Uh, th this was the deck, though, that like when Luris went from three mana to six mana, it was very, very highly impacted. Like obviously, the difference between five and eight for something like Urian is very different. For the difference between three and six for Loris, uh, I, I think you're much. It's much easier to bear that type of scenario, especially given the type of decks that Urian was routinely finding its way into. These decks took a big hit when that shifted because they didn't have access to the Mishra's Bauble card advantage engine as early in the game as it really needed to in a lot of scenarios. So you really need your early spells to keep pace. They are sort of doing that here, sort of, but Kawadal, I'm, I'm not sure people adjusted their evaluation of this card enough with the passing of Arkham's Astrolabe. I, I think it is very important that this gets turned on reliably and it has become harder. So Yeah, you're not free rolling as many snow permanents and even this mana base, it's like, you have the Triome, which I think you need, but there's, mm -hmm. you know, Sunken Ruins, Hinterland Harbors. It's like, can we really afford to be doing that? And I guess with Archmage's Charm, uh, that, that was definitely a problem in this deck. Like casting Charm when you have like Snow Forest, Snow Swamp, and you don't have the free fixing and everything. So yeah, Coatl, instead of being online on turn two, is now like maybe a turn four card. Yeah, and, and that matters when there are very good aggressive decks in the format, all the prowess decks. Like getting that free block was worth a lot, and you're you're just not getting it a lot of the time now. And I, I'm not sure that the evaluation of this card has degraded enough with the loss of that effectiveness. Not to say it's a bad card. I still think it has its place. It's just not what it was. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's still it's still fine, it's still playable, but 
normally it was one of the reasons to be in a deck like this. And now I would hope that players are just like, well, I, I will play copies of it because I'm in these colors. I already, already wanted to be in these colors. But right. it still seems like, you know, you start with four Ice Fang and then you go from there, which I don't think is the right way to go about it. Sure. Next up is my homie Askia playing Boros Prowess, Swiss Spear, Soul Scar Mage, Lumamancer, two copies of Abbot of Carol Keep, which uh, I thought about this, I think, like today or yesterday, just like the comparison of Abbot versus uh, the Blue Red Telling Time, Draw Spell, Expressive Iteration. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's pretty similar. Like you think about the decks where Abbott showed up, at least in modern and the timing of it and, and things like that. It's like, yeah, okay. I, I kind of get it now. And when you start looking at it like that, it's like, well, maybe Abbott is just better because you get this two, one prowess body instead of like a card in your hand. And when decks are set up to leverage that body so effectively, you know, if you're going as far as playing crash through, I think there's a very good argument that Abbott is actually the card you want there. Yeah. And I mean, this deck is playing two Abbots, three light up the stage. So, you know, not maxing like four and four of those because they're certainly pretty awkward together. But yeah, it just kind of goes to show the, the conversation we had earlier. These decks are so impressive for their capacity to both be hyper aggressive and to rebuild so well. You know, all the different pieces they're able to use to generate card advantage, be it Luris plus Bauble or Light Up the Stage. They just do things that these decks historically have not been able to do. They feel totally different at this stage of the game. Yeah, and you're you're just threatening like a bunch of damage, you know, from from turn two on. So mm-hmm. these decks are certainly really strong. I I just think that these decks have outmoded burn at this point. I am inclined to agree. You could also probably sell me on the idea that there are metagames for both. Like if if decks are just better at answering creatures, if it's a fatal push format, yeah. then you could talk me into burn. But I think that the metagame is so unsettled at this point that I'm mostly making my choices in a vacuum when I'm trying to enter these leagues. And in a vacuum, I think your assessment is good. Well, it's not like burn actually wants to play against fatal push decks either, necessarily. Sure. I mean, sure. you know, things... Things like Jund are typically very good, but certainly it can skew away from that if they're actually respecting you a lot. Yeah, so Fair enough. Maybe at that point you're just like, well, just don't play these medium one-mana creatures and just play Tron or something. Mm, just play Tron. That's always the correct answer, and uh, D Green seems to know that. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't scrolled down yet, but yeah. Uh, D Green, 16, Mono Green Tron, nothing new. Nothing new. Cool. Next. Uh, little Police Boy, Jund, two Croxa, one Nile Spellbomb, some Season Pyromancers, a couple of Dreadbores, yep. Not a lot to report, still Jund. Uh, Snook will be happy to see this in the list, but that's all we got. Boil in the sideboard, I still don't like Boil. Just like viscerally, or don't, don't like it in this particular deck? Well, it started as a thing that people were doing against Dryad decks. Right. Which I, I think is just utter nonsense. And there's not a ton of those decks left, nor are there a ton of decks that boil on its face is just good against. So I don't know. Two boils feels like a lot of slots in your modern John sideboard where you need to be able to cover a lot of stuff. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's like two Fulminator Mages, two Ashiok. So you're already dedicating cards to those those dryad primeval titan decks and yeah i just i feel like you'd be better off solidifying with more copies of either of those than playing boil 
No argument here. Jorg or J Org, uh, Mono Brown Eldrazi. Can't find a new card for us to comment on. So uh, I think that means this will be yet another Eldrazi list show for us. MTGO Bazaar 8 Mill. Nothing fresh to report here either. Still doing the same mill stuff. I, I still think this deck is like probably under respected, but I am not going to play it. So I'm not going to be the one who garners it any respect. There are a lot of Eldrazi's and like Gaze Blessings and people's sideboards. So I think that they're doing like the bare minimum amount of work to respect it. Okay. Is that enough? Is that all it takes to kind of push this out? No, I don't think so. Okay. It, it helps, you know, it, it lessens their ability to actually just goldfish you. They need to find something else to like actually deal with that card. But mm-hmm. I, I really don't think it's enough. All right. If, if you're racing, like you're a pretty fast deck and you think that having that card in your deck will make it so that you can like win the race against them before they can fully set up, then cool. That makes sense to me. Yeah, but just thinking that's going to be your answer is it's not going to hold. Yeah, if you're like a do-nothing control deck, it's like yeah, they're going to find an answer to that eventually. It doesn't yep. really matter. Yep. Kajimi, Azorius Control. This has, you know, no Flagstone shenanigans, no Stoneforge Mystics, nope. not even nope. like a lot of charms in it or anything. like uh, a- About as chalk as you can play this particular archetype, besides the one Circle of Protection Red in the sideboard love seeing a cop the bane of every magic player's existence in 1994 1995 because whoever you're like one person you knew who played magic was they'd always load their deck up with circle of protections against you and yeah because you were only playing one color let's be obviously real. yeah and then you had to find some way around it and if you happen to be foolish enough to be the red mage cop red was just going to end your magic career basically on the spot yeah, I think everyone is kind of ready for Core Firewalker at this point. So Cop Red, it's like, oh, it, it makes sense. You know, it's this thing that is in theory good against them that doesn't get dismembered or whatever. But at the same time, it's very mana intensive and they're threatening to kill you on like turn three, turn four. You don't really have, you know, all the mana up to be able to utilize this a bunch. So it's still kind of sketchy to me. Feels a little on the slow side, but got to give, give the props anyway. Anytime I see a COP Red. Yeah, I wonder when the last time uh, a COP cashed a modern uh, like daily event or challenge or anything. That's an interesting question. And when that becomes a prevalent thing, I guess I'll pack what my thought lace is. What, what lace will I need? Chaos lace Dude, I would know. just change it to red. Life lace, we could turn it to green. Death lace, shift it to black. Pure lace would be to shift it to white. I am so... Let me tell you something. If I needed to like find my car keys right now, I couldn't. There's just no <laughs> chance. I, I My life's in complete disarray. But I was just able to pull out all five laces from my memory banks almost instantly. What about Moonlace? Uh, the colorless one. Yeah, great point. I, I feel almost bad for disrespecting Moonlace like that. Um, because if I'm going to devote this much of my brain wrinkles to knowing these laces, I should probably get the full set. Oh, this just is target spell or permanent becomes colorless. It doesn't actually change the wording on it. Oh, a very inferior lace. Not the power card that all the other laces Clearly inferior. Yeah, a little disappointing there. Brian, tell me about this next deck in depth. This is clearly one of the finest decks to ever grace modern's hollowed halls. Uh, This is the 80 card version of Mono Blue Tron. No. Which... 
Blue White Tron. Right, fine. fine. It's it's Blue White Tron. Gifts. That, that's fine. Yeah. All right. I've I've done this before. I did this years ago. It wasn't good enough then. It's definitely not good enough now. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. Maybe the most fun you can have playing Magic is to play a little Blue White Tron. Uh, and you have been a Blue White Tron player in the past. I have stolen your Blue White Tron decks in the past, uh, long past, and often did quite well with them. And one of the big breakthroughs back in the day was adding the Gifts Ungiven Unburial Rights package where you just gifts for two cards and then you get to reanimate whatever it is you chose. And a lot of times it would be Iona to lock out the game. Uh, against Creature Decks, you could get Elish Norn. All of those options are present here, including just being able to eventually hardcast your Emrakul, the promised end. So if if I could do this in good faith and like really believe I was participating in the game, I would almost certainly do so. I, I legitimately used to love playing this deck, but uh, I can't even talk myself into this set I got, at this point. I'm not going to try and talk you into it. Uh, I got ninth at GP Hoth. Mm-hmm. Lincoln, Nebraska, right? Yeah, maybe it was 10th or something. Uh, Luis top eighted or top four of the tournament. We were both playing pretty similar blue-white Tron decks. Uh, his was much worse because he just, he clunked it up. He did the Luis thing, you know, just like added seven more celestial colonnades or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just things that we <laughs> we would like fervently argue about. Uh, I think Josh Cho won his, I think it was his first PTQ. It was either his... No, yeah, it had to have been his first, right? Because like he he queued for a second PT off of that, off of that Pro Tour. Yeah, I don't know. I played this in Grand Prix when you could play Deathrite Shaman and Bloodbraid Elf in Jund. Mm. So maybe that was not very smart, but... No, maybe not. I think that there was a period where I was the the world's best Blue Eyetron player. Wow, look at the hubris of you just declaring yourself to be the epitome of a blue white tron player i'm trying to think of an analog where you're just like i am the world's best x where it just like it really paints you in an unfavorable light you know like i'm the world's most toxic rager on xbox live or whatever (laughs) it's like eh, it's not really something you should be admitting yeah that was that was basically me but uh seeing this is it, it it makes me feel things they're not all good things happy memories for sure but this deck also has like no new cards. Like the, the new thing about it is that you're playing Omen of the Sea in your hand, which means that yeah, you get to yeah. cram every single gifts of given package you could possibly want into your deck list, which again is not a good thing. All of those nonsense cards. Back in the day, um, it was interesting. So it was like, do I play any threats main? What's my removal suite? Uh, do I try to set up Mind Slaver? Do I just go with the reanimator package? You could do like an Ugin package too. Uh, with Haven of the Spear Dragon and stuff. And I guess, yeah, this deck has Ugin, but no Haven. So I guess it can't really get that 100% of the time. But it's just like, you don't want to do this. It was it was all about like picking and choosing what package you wanted. Discretion is usually the better part of Valor. I, I have one final Blue White Tron story that I, I find amusing. Please I don't know if hit else me. Will. Please hit me. Uh, I remember a PTQ that I traveled with to... I, I traveled with Ben Lundquist too. And Ben Lundquist, uh, really great magic player, great deck builder. Now, I, I believe is still Watsy staff these days. Yeah. Love, and love Ben. We were both playing Blue White Tron. I'm sorry. At this BTQ. And I think it was Dave Shields we were talking with about the deck who was also playing it. 
because we had all like kind of independently come to the place. And I, and I think this almost perfectly corresponds temporally with GP Hoth. It, it might have been the same weekend. Uh, I'm not 100% on that, but it was very, very close in time to that. And we're all basically before the tournament bouncing ideas off each other. And we're like, what about this card? What about this card? And then someone finds Annex, which is you control target land. Uh, blue, blue, two, I think. You control target land. Correct. Aura. And I, I don't know if it was Ben or Dave, but they're like, yeah, I think I'm going to play Annex. And basically, as soon as they make the decision yep. to play Annex, the rest of us are priced into playing Annex because we can never beat them under any circumstances. So us three idiots are now in this tournament with three copies of Annex each in the sideboard of our blue white Tron deck. Who are we targeting? I'm not really sure. Like I, I know other. my other buddy, each yeah, other. basically I, I know my other buddy, um, Matty gem was there and ultimately top aided with, uh, like, is it Tron, which was also big in that moment. It was like through the breach Tron that some people were playing. And maybe there are a few copies of that around, but basically we all just met a game against each other and gave up most of our sideboard slots. Uh, ben still made the finals, but I, I think lost in the finals to like Jund, if I remember correctly. I, I feel like there was Jund stuff going on. Yeah, Jund was not an easy matchup. I, for whatever reason, in modern, I'm always like, all right, this deck is like, okay, but really bad against Jund also, which is not a good combination of things, especially back no. in like John's heyday, you know? Right. It's, it's not good to put your Tron deck together and be like, yeah, I'm soft to John. Like something has gone wrong in that moment. And you, you well, have to question all of your life decisions. I mean, blue white is, is not like turn three Karn, right? Uh, no, it was, it no, was always, not. it was always kind of bad against John because the things that you're trying to set up often involve like gifts and using the graveyard and they could obviously pick apart that stuff pretty easily. But I don't know. There, there were some games where you just like, remand their spell and repeal their spell and like thirst for knowledge and you just annihilate them or like if you naturally tron up on turn three like it didn't happen every game it happened like 20 percent of the time or whatever then you felt like a god and then it was awesome yeah you think you'd be able to outsize them in most instances though but also i'm I'm going to point out that this particular list we're looking at i'm i don't think this was the case with our list i'm not 100 percent sure i would have to go back in time there's no Karns in the list we're looking at right now. So even if you go ahead and set up your turn three Tron, you, you haven't done anything. Like there's actually nothing you can do with that. I, I'm pretty sure the list I was playing was playing at least some number of Karns. I, I, I know it was there. I would be kind of shocked if I didn't have a lot. I wasn't. I think that that some people did, but I didn't. I didn't really agree with it. Okay. All right. I, I remember part of Ben's loss in in the finals was he misplayed his Karn, and then after the match, I was like, "Did you did you think about doing this with the Karn?" And he's like, "I didn't really know what the card did, and I forgot it did that. <laughs> and that was the reason he lost." All right. So I searched for Ben Lundquist Blue White Tron, and the only thing that comes up is like his GP finals or win or whatever with Blue Green Tron. Okay, yeah, that Finals. predates that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, by like two or three years. So. Yep. Oh, well. yeah, it was, it was it was PTQ only, I, I'm sure. So probably didn't get captured by uh, some of those lists got posted. I don't know. Occasionally, occasionally they end up on there, but yeah, shame that one is lost to time. Is it? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Volkswagen Gruel land destruction disruption. Vol- Volkswagen is always doing this, right? This is Glory what we Burger. see them doing every time. I don't know. I know. I don't pay okay. attention to these decks. You know everyone's name. How do you not pay attention to this? Because I'm, I'm never like, oh, yeah, shout outs to the Gruel Land Destruction player, you know? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Silent Song, As Foretold, Electrodominance, 
And I, I really hate that these decks do this, but it's like Restore Balance, Crashing Footfalls, Ancestral Vision, a little bit of everything, you know? Yeah, a little, little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of nothing for us to talk about because we've, we've done this deck to death. Not even any Prismari commands. What are you doing? Seems like a good ad. Eclipse, 4343, uh, Azorius Control, Terminus. I see Omen of the Sea to go with Terminus. Okay, that kind of makes sense. Uh, still only 60 cards, though. So 60 card Omen of the Sea deck. Yeah, not a uh, Urian to be found anywhere, which is wrong. I don't, ah. I don't think you're supposed to play Omen of the Sea in that scenario. Well, I mean, what if you decide you really want to play Terminus? Aren't there better ways to do this? Not really. What did we use? There was something we were doing with Terminus for a period of time. Mystic Probably something sanctuary. that's banned at this point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, banned <laughs> as hell. Something we were up to. Really okay, banned. Fair enough. Super banned. Fair enough. Yep. Giovanni MF, Death Shadow, Hex Drinker, Scourge of the Skyclaves, Tarmogoyf, a lot of big creatures. Uh, you know, Bobble, Luris, etc. Yep. Pretty standard. A little team of battle rage action. Looks fine. Vida Tinha. This, this is just one of those things where it's like, is this one word? Is this supposed to be two words? If it is, I don't know where the space is. Vitatina. Oh, nine. Oh, nine is my reading of this particular name. Yogmoth combo. I feel like this got a new card that I had my eye on, but uh, there, there's nothing here. There, these are This is the old Yogmoth deck. Wasn't there something printed recently that seemed like a reasonable inclusion in this? Uh, don't know. Okay. Don't don't really pay <laughs> attention to this. Not tracking that one. Don't pay attention to this. Uh, I do. I do love a Yogmoth, obviously. Yeah. But I don't know. This this deck is never. It's just like the creature combo decks, man. Like occasionally, I recognize like yes, this is good in this moment, and then getting me over that hump to actually play it is a lot harder. And so I just haven't really paid attention to this. I do recognize that at this point, it's kind of like a well tuned machine. It is pretty solid, but there's also yeah. like Heliod stuff going on. Right. That, that was going to be my point is I, I think there does exist a better version of this right now. So I, I have no real problem with this deck. I think it's fine. But in, in this moment, there's there's just a better way to do it. AC Zeno, Mono Red, Obosh. Yeah, this deck is the same. Not really any changes here. Nothing to report. Like it's got Blood Moon and Bone Crusher. So it's like a little bit bigger. I'm just not sure that that's super relevant C- compared to just trying to prowess people, you know? Yeah, the people who like Obosh really like it. They'll they'll tell you that is it a it is a huge difference maker. I have never quite bought that, and maybe in its oldest form it it was. Uh, but the cost is so huge here, and you're a very very lean deck. Your your twenty land deck. So I just don't think it really comes up as often as people want you to believe. Yeah, agreed. Melton, Elvish Reclaimer, Dry to the Leasing Grove, Bring to Light, Scape Shift. Uh, I wrote about this like post ban before people added the creatures to it. Like I, I mm-hmm. like bring the light scapeshift. This one also has cleansing wildfire flagstones, which makes sense because you're doing Elvish reclaimer stuff. And I, th- I think the creatures are like a pretty good addition. You obviously don't have the like cryptic command sort of stuff to solidify you against combo, but you get a lot faster. It seems like, yeah. so yep. I don't know. This is this is cool to me. This this deck has also been doing really well. It won one of the challenges, I think, last week. 
Yeah, I, I think I just prefer the interaction and the speed bumps that the creatures add to the mix, like getting your Elvish Reclaimer big early on and just having those early blockers against the very, very aggressive decks that are present in the format right now. I, I'd like to set up a little bit better here, and I, I see why this is finding some success presently. Yep. Gershi, uh 80 card, Bring the Light, Niv-Mizzet, four copies of Omnath, uh, which is kind of standard in these lists now, which is just just kind of wild to me. I don't know. It's also wild that it's like Teferi, Ren and Six, Kaya's Guile. There's like, you know, Vanishing Verse now. Just like all the, the new gold cards are showing up in, in this archetype. Yeah, it seems to pick up, you know, a little a little bit here, a little bit there, every single set. And I guess that makes sense where you have such an efficient search engine. Any any color pairs you see can often offer something new to your dim visits. And I, I do think like Vanishing Verse is a good card here. It doesn't move the needle for me, but basically every set this deck's probably only going to get better and better unless something is banned and uh, certainly it is still dealing with the fallout of the Arkham's Astrolabe ban but I think it has rebounded in a pretty real way it seems like the mana is completely fine here and if you still believe that setting up these very very value intensive battlefields is the way to go then nothing has really changed for me as far as this deck goes yeah it fits in a bad spot to me on the the mid-range scale but that's like my only gripe against it. Okay. What do you see like kind of outscaling it going under? Like, I, I, I do think it doesn't do quite enough to keep up with the really aggressive decks. You, do you think it doesn't outsize the other mid-range approaches? Well, anything that's trying to Valakut you or Tron you is going to be able to go over the top. So yeah. you're really focusing in on a very specific window of just like, okay. I'm going to beat up on Jund, but like still probably lose the same stuff that Jund does, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a very fair knock and a very real one. Yeah. Uh, Tukanoxos, uh, another Gruul Velikit deck. This one doing Through the Breach stuff. I'm more sold on the Transmogrify creativity stuff than I am this now because that's that's just like a one-card combo, you know? Like, mm-hmm. fetch into Dwarven Mine, that's kind of a given. You're going to have that a lot of the time, and then you just need to draw the Transmogrify and have it work out, of course, whereas Through the Breach is just like... You know, lightning bolt, fatal push, whatever doesn't do anything against this. So I see the pros and cons for both, but I tend to like the transmogrify stuff better now. Okay. I, I will be transmogrifying as well. I see the appeal. Mean Fanny Pack, Urian, Orzov, Stoneforge Mystic, Dark Confidant, Skyclave Apparition, Liliana the Veil. Is this is this doing anything for you? These are all magic cards that you are allowed to register in Modern, and they were all one-time very powerful magic cards. Like in 2021? No, not in 2021. Uh, some period before that, they were quite good. Lingering Souls, one of the best magic cards uh, okay, in I, both Modern and Legacy for a period. I purposefully left that one off the list. I wasn't like, ooh, Lingering Souls, are you excited? Because, you know. <laughs> that is That is maybe the one reason to get excited here. I like playing decks like this, but when I do so, I don't expect to win. So, I wouldn't mind seeing Lingering Souls in Historic. Sure, that's a good addition. I like that. I don't even know that it is particularly good there, but like, if you're going to put Brainstorm, that's the thing once you put Brainstorm is like, just do whatever you want. Who cares? If people like Lingering Souls, let them play with it. Yeah. L-J-E-X. 
I see this deck show up and I don't know why. Grixis, uh, Lurus Companion with Sprite Dragon, Snapcaster Mage, and a bunch of control elements. Like, how do you really justify putting Sprite Dragon and things like into the story in the same deck? Like, this is your Grixis Tarmogoyf, I guess, but it's really bad at that. One of the best features of Tarmogoyf is how well it plays defense for you, and it lets you go both ways. Sprite Dragon just doesn't do that unless you're able to invest in it for a long time. And but, uh, but at that point, like you've probably hit them a few times, and you could probably just kill them. So sure, even then, yeah, yeah, it, it really only goes in one direction. And I I get your your puzzlement here. It seems like there's a lot of conflicting parts to this deck. So I get that there aren't a lot of good options and the things that you would normally play. It's like, oh, well, maybe this deck could play a couple of Tassigers. Well, you can't if you're playing Lurus. So mm-hmm. you have decided that Lurus Bobble with uh, like Kologon's Command or whatever is more important than having a big win condition. So like this is the thing that you want. And I don't think that anyone's really happy with playing Sprite Dragon. You know, I can't imagine that that's the case. They're just like, yeah, this is the perfect card for this deck. I mean, it, it does do well against combo-y sort of setups where it's like this is a real clock that will kill them. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like there should be something better, but maybe there just isn't. Yeah, you you want it to be like Delver of Secrets, I think. And we know that Delver of Secrets doesn't get the job done in modern. That is also the the top inclusion on my uh, add to historic list. It's not going to be good enough. I I know that. Even with Brainstorm, I don't think it's going to be good enough. But like, just let me do it. Let me let me waste my wild cards and try a little Delver of Secrets. I don't know, man. I Make think- it a mythic. I don't. I'll give you my mythic wild cards. I don't even care. You, you mean rare? The rare ones are more valuable, or still, right? Uh, I run out of mythics. I know a lot of people report the opposite, uh, but for whatever reason, I have a hard time keeping mythics in stock. I think I bad. I I build more bad decks built around mythics, and that's mm. why I'm always short on them. Yeah, fair. I mean, going through like brainstorm looting, abundant harvest stuff like that made me run out of rares this time around. But sure. Yep. I don't know. I think. I think Delver with Brainstorm for sure would help its cause in Historic, but uh, even like Seagate Restoration, it's like, all right, that that helps a lot. So mm. yep. I think it would get there. Mono Blue is already close. Like they're, they're more of like curiosity decks than anything, but I think that that would still be good. And you have memory do you, labs. Do you think like, it gets there in a bad way? Well, so a deck like that is going to serve to cause churn which is good but it's like you know any mid-range deck or combo deck is going to get beat up by them and then mono red is going to clown you and then things will just cycle through right so it's never going to be dominant i don't think but it will be yeah. good it feels like it, it adds a little bit of rhyme and reason to any format is present and, and able to be a a limiter on the format yeah, I mean, at this point, I, I wrote this in my article. This was just like the header. It's just like, I'm going to stop asking questions about historic. And I sure. I, I think that... <laughs> I think that's fine. I think that I'm just completely off. Well, I'm certainly off trying to puzzle out like what the rationale is and what the roadmap looks like. And I'm just like, whatever. It If things get added to it, then I will treat it like a thing that exists. But I'm never going to be like, oh, what, what should be banned or... Will this card like ever be added to the formats? Like, yeah, Delver will probably be added alongside, you know, the Moxes or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like you have taken a very uh, rational approach to this format. And it's I support you in doing more, so. more defeatist than anything. I'm just like, I just give up. Okay. But it is what it is. By Dawn Virus. 
More gruel. Gruel lay in destruction. We, we, gruel we did this deck already. I refuse to believe that we aren't somehow going backwards. Uh, last deck. Raging Tilt Monster. 80 card. Kiki Cord. Wait. Yep, okay. Four Kikis, four Cords, four Ephemerates. I'm out of words, Jerry. <laughs> I, I reached for something. Uh, you know, I'm glad we're doing this live because, like, it feels like when we do these these large deck dump shows, it's something that we could like cobble together and do some editing with, and take breaks and and breathe for a moment. In and theory, I'm, I'm glad, we never do those things. I know. I'm I'm glad that our patrons were able to witness just the the unfiltered nonsense that goes into doing these long deck dumps and how your brain just turns to mush as you you look through modern deck after modern deck sometimes seemingly built with no logic whatsoever they just exist modern decks just exist sometimes and you try and puzzle and make a narrative about it and like share some bit of wisdom because that's what we do when we make a podcast and you just reach for it and there's nothing there by the time you get to the kiki cord list at the end it's, it's just empty I, the, the funny thing is like, I could talk about a lot of these decks where I'm just like yep this is the deck that exists moving on I, I could harp on them for a while, but I don't know. We we also just did it to our cast, so. Yeah, when we try and keep it brief, we we still fail at that goal. But uh, hopefully, we we did something to further understand, further increase your understanding of the modern format. Uh, I feel like we just kind of went around in circles, bizarre, mono blue Tron based circles for two hours. But uh, people seem to like it. If you hate it, I understand. That's fine. I don't blame you at all. Uh, we could just make up shit to talk about next week for historic. I mean, we could also put in a bunch of work and make it, make it structured. And that's what I'm leaning towards. But if people are just like, just do historic garbage instead of modern every time, we'll happily do that. I agree with that. Uh, especially when things are weird and interesting as they are right now. I also think there's going to be good, good standard stuff to talk about come next week. I, I feel like we'll start to see our first rays of light into a new format, or we can finally just like put that to bed and be like, this is what we're dealing with. It's just kind of a rehash. Let's figure out how to start working on that. Yeah. Everyone just put it down for a month until the PTQ happens and then we'll pick it up then and then just go back to historic again. Works for me. Everyone, everyone just play rogues. Who cares? I'm, I'm actually surprised there weren't a lot of Prismari commands in these deck lists specifically. Like I've seen it show up in a decent amount of places, mostly in, in just weird is it decks, like not really showing up in like Grixis or Teamer or anything. Mm -hmm. For the most part, Kologon's command kind of has you covered or like even stretching for Archmage's command and stuff. But that that is a solid card that has mostly impressed me in a bunch of different formats. I agree. I've enjoyed it. I've talked a bunch about my Is It Dragon's approach and standard uh, thus far. Prismari Command has been a big part of that. Quite good. I think uh, all the modes on it, are they, they play better than they read a lot of the time. It's funny because I sort of hated Is It Charms, draw two, discard two, but standard feels a little different in that you just have so many resources to work with a lot of the time that you're, you're looking for something more specific. and then Well, you're getting something else out of it too. Yeah, the the mode that I've really appreciated more than anything else is the treasure mode, quite frankly. Like being able to ramp with your removal spell or your filtration spell, uh, it makes a difference. And it opens up a lot of really good turn fours when you're playing with Goldspan Dragon. And those games tend to snowball really hard too. So I, I think that's another card that certainly has its place in standard and we're going to see more and more of it. And like you mentioned, it's it's 100% modern applicable. So I looked at a lot of the commands as like, one of these things is almost certainly going to be good a lot of the time. And then the mm -hmm. other thing that you choose is just going to, you know, you could take it or leave it. 
And that didn't really line up with a lot of their mana costs. And in the case of Prismari Command, it making a treasure means that it's like the fifth command mode where it's like you shock something and this costs one less. Yep. And I, I think that that's, I don't know, just like confusing but interesting and has made the card feel a lot better where, you know, you want to shock something for two mana while also doing something else on this turn or you're using it to ramp into Goldspan Dragon or you have other treasure synergies or whatever. It's like, yep. yeah, you are getting removal spell plus like this very middling thing, but it gives a lot of flexibility to the card. And, you know, that's a card that has four modes already. It's like it has 10 modes now. Yeah, and it is a middling thing, like, abstractly. Plus one mana isn't all that meaningful, but also plus one mana can be a breakpoint. It can be the difference between winning and losing. It, it's it's why something like Desperate Ritual is an extremely powerful magic card, right? Like, if you're able to move up that scale, if you're able to move up your your time frame by an entire turn, then it becomes time walk in that instance, and sometimes you only need one time walk to close out the game. And I've found a lot of scenarios where plus one mana has mattered a lot in decks that, like, seemingly shouldn't have access to it. And that's one of the reasons why I've really liked the instant uh, magma opus type effects where you're able to discard those cards. It just gives so much flexibility to your game plan. The other thing I'll note about these cards too is that they all go face and adding that reach to your game plan, also a pretty big game changer. Like you find yourself in a lot of scenarios where you would just be closed out before and you're like, I'll I'll just burn you out. That's fine. I I can find nine points of damage over the next two turns and uh, win the game that way. So it's it's been a cool change to see. Yeah, I mean... It also, in standard at least, in combination with Goldspan Dragon, does snowball really hard too. If yep. you like treasure out the Goldspan Dragon a turn earlier, Goldspan makes a treasure, you go and tap with a bunch of mana and stuff like that. So yeah, the the context surrounding that card was definitely not apparent to me when I first read it. But now I'm just Fair like, enough. yeah, this, yeah. this card is great. Yep, I'm with you. I think that that is one of the cards that I ordered from the set. Nice, good work. That was a good choice. It's just like, I don't know, it's, it, it's in the realm of things that I will likely play at some point, you know? Is it too late? Did I, did I miss the window on getting a good deal on these, or should I be buying them right now? Uh, I'm, I'm actually checking right now. I, they, were, they were just cheap, so I don't think that's ever going to be super expensive. Well, I'm assuming there's some ridiculous fancy version I can waste my money on, right? Well, yeah, that's true. So Star City has them at three, but they're also sold out. Extended arts are five. Foil extended arts are 10, but everything is sold out. So who knows? Hmm, 10, 10 is kind of like, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling an extended foil for 10. I, could, I think I could pr- place a little order here. They're sold out, man. Uh, at StarCityGames.com, the finest home for all Magic the Gathering cards where I buy all my Magic cards. Yes, you're right. I guess I'll have to wait. I don't Thank know. You. Goldfish is saying that me. the... Extended art foil ones are 12. So yeah, you can still get a good deal. They're, they're not expensive. I got a good deal. Uh, I'll tell I'll tell you where to get a good deal after we finish the show. Sure. All right. Game. Good luck.